Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. C'est un rêve en moi Si vrai, si fort I'm thinking of a rugby player. Oh, I love this game. Okay, okay. I've got a rugby player in mind. Okay. It's Cleveland Loeb, sir. It's not, for once. For once. Cleveland Lauter is always on my mind. Yeah. As is Stephen Myler. As are many rugby players. However, I'm thinking of one particular rugby player, mm-hmm. right? You have, let's say, ten questions. Okay. Yes or no answers to try and work out who they are. <laughs> Can I just quickly, is it Romero Pez? It's not Romero Pez. Okay, 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 okay. They did so, not okay, play I'm in this got, game. There's I'm no going, yes link or no to questions. this game. Okay, okay. Is the player still playing? Yes. Uh, is the player a back? No. Okay, that means that it's a forward. Is it a front row? Yes. Okay. Is it a prop? No. You've okay. got okay. Okay, you've got four questions down, and you've narrowed this down very fast. Yeah, that th- I've had a bit of luck of the draw. Don't sure, get me wrong. sure, sure. Uh, is this player from the northern hemisphere? It is. He is indeed. Okay. That, I said he. Yes. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, no, I don't know any male rugby players. I don't care about them. Okay, so it's a dick who still plays. In the Northern Hemisphere. Do they play internationally at the moment? Oh, that is a tricky question. But the answer is, I guess, yes. Okay, okay. That's a very specific answer. Is it Ken Owens? Uh, no. Okay. No, the answer The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Oh, so, so they do play internationally. And it is Ken Owens. No, they're not. It's not Ken Owens, but they do play internationally. Okay, okay. So that probably implies that it's someone quite shit. Is it Luca Bigi? It's not Luca Bigi. Okay. Um, hmm. Is it Rob Herring? No. Uh, wait a minute. You're on. I've set. probably you got, got three. One. Three questions more. Do you not want to narrow it down more? Or mm, I guess I could. I guess I could. Is this person from the British Isles? No. Okay. Is this person French? It, they are indeed. Yes. Okay. Is it Camus Shah? It is not Camus Shah. That is your tenth question. Okay. okay. Two extra guesses. Okay. Like the bonus. You know. Julia Marshall. No. Pierretto Mavaka. No. Okay. Who'll be your next guess? Who's the other hooker in the French squad other than those? Because it is that person. Yeah. Who is, who is that? Pierre Bougueritz. Pierre Bougueritz. Yes. Yes. Great player. Good game. Great game. That was great, a great, great game. Great game. I'm great a fan game. of Pierre Bougueritz. I'm a fan of Pierre Bougueritz. He keeps a... coming up is the thing. Yeah, he does. And then he's starting for France this weekend. He does. Which is his first he cap is. in a number of years. So, yeah. hence it being a weird one of like, does he play internationally at the minute? Yeah. I guess he does now. I mean, this is coming out before we do the Pacific Island week on the yes. thingy. But we both separately kind of wrote, obviously you write the scripts, yeah. but I, I write sections of the scripts, right? And we both separately went away and wrote a section of the script, then came back together and realised we both mentioned Pierre Bougarie. He kept coming up. In Pacific Island week. He kept coming Videos up. on Samoa and Fiji and Tonga. We were mentioning Pierre Bougarie's. I mean, great player, you know, La Rochelle Hooker, Simon Francis Weekend, very good player. Inexplicable how often he seems to be coming up. Just and randomly always involved. I'm sort of expecting that to be the case in all of rugby from now on. Okay. Is that why you brought him up because you were expecting him to play in this game that we're about to cover here? Yeah, and I was looking for him the entire way and I couldn't find him. 
Yeah, it's because he wasn't playing. What? Uh, or Squidge, or whatever people want to call you. Thank you, uh, Will Owen. Ooh, you've jumped to conclusions there about who I am. Well, we'll come back to that next week. Okay. Um, so, the game today is Scotland against Italy from the 2007 Rugby World <laughs> You know what, I was World fully Cup. expecting you to say 1987 there. We've been out of that for a while. Constantly. Uh, there's a bit of me, though, every time I open the bloody thing to watch the game for the podcast, a bit of me is like, God, I've got to watch 80s rugby again. The thing is, every time when I say, like, oh yeah, we're going to do the podcast tomorrow, or whenever, mm. and we'll schedule it, you always go, oh god, okay. But we're not watching 97 anymore, you're okay, yeah. you're enjoying this tournament. That's the thing, is like, when I was watching this game, we got five minutes in, I realised I was enjoying it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, right, I was expecting it to be like the tedious trudge that was 87 all the time. And this game wasn't even good. This game was good. It was alright. This game was good. I'm going to fight you on this. Okay. We are going to have a boxing match. I don't think it was shit. Hey, are you a you space tuber? Let's have a boxing match. Oh, that's banter. So, I... <coughs> I, I should add, keep that cough in, because I am ill. Okay. Uh, I have been ill. My voice may go at any point during the conversation, because it has been whenever I've talked over the last few days. I've also been ill, but I'm built different, so it's fine. Well, thank you, Derry Lake. So, this was, and this is a fun moment in time, the closest Italy have ever got to making the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup. Yes. And it is very clear, yeah. this, like, throughout this game, this is billed as the, the playoff for the quarterfinal, yeah. essentially. And that's not the first time we've said this in this tournament, you know, the bonus knockout game sort of thing. But this really did have that feel that, like, both teams were so nervous throughout this game. Yeah. Because the stakes are almost higher than they are in the quarterfinal, mm. right? If you get to a quarterfinal, you've made it into the last eight. For a lot of the teams that get there, that is the goal, and anything else beyond that is a bonus. Yeah. You know? So, for Scotland, getting there this time was the game. That was the goal. They wanted to get out of the group. It's rare that a team like Italy will have the goal of finishing third, right? Yeah. In the group. But, so, yeah, it's rare anyone's name to yeah. finish third. Uh, unless you're but, like Uruguay or, you know, Namibia or somebody who is lower down. Uruguay defending champions. I don't know why they've been looking to finish third. That's true. You know, I know Bocchese is waning in his powers with age, but still an elite rugby player. He is. So yeah, this is the closest they ever got. Obviously, we talked in 87. They drew with Fiji, which kind of, if they pulled that win off, if they'd held out when Fiji had that comeback, maybe they could have, you know, taken the points difference there and gone on, kicked on. Maybe if Fiji had played their first team against the All Blacks, they might have pulled ahead and beaten Fiji. And then, obviously, we have, in 99, they lose to Tonga. With that incredibly dramatic drop goal, which we'll get to one day. I'm excited to get there. Um, so they've had chances. Yeah. But like, this is the one time where they've gone into the last game of the pool knowing they can qualify, knowing yeah, what they have to do. Absolutely. And it's the closest they've ever got in that game. And above all, they beat Scotland in the Six Nations yeah. of this year. Yeah. Like, they won't have gone in as favourites by any stretch, but they will have gone in knowing, like, this team is vulnerable. Yeah. This is somebody that we are very much capable of beating. And it was a record win, that win in the Six Nations, right? 17-37 yeah. at Murray Field. Like, it is Italy's huge first result. ever away win in the Six Nations. Their biggest ever away win in the Six Nations. It might be their biggest ever away win over a Tier 1 nation, I believe. Wow. Um, Still to this day. Yeah, it was an absolutely enormous result by them. Yeah. They scored three tries, like, right after another. It was just, like completely relentless, a charge down and two intercepts from wow. Italy. Kind of, It was like a performance of them just like tying knots where there were loose strings. Yeah, exactly. And that took them to that result. And this is so evenly matched. And can I just tell you, 
this isn't actually a shit game. I was just joshing with you. <laughs> I think this is, I think this is a good game with two, as I say, very even teams and it was a scrap a lot of the time. Do you want a great quote from Frank Haddon? Yeah, I love those. On that Gaming as Italy from the Six Nations. Go on. I wanted a fast tempo start to get the crowd on the edge of their seat and start the game in a way which would make the game difficult for their rushing defence. Okay. Okay. I don't know why I had Russian defence when they were Italy. Okay. I'm going to remind you, right, in the middle of this quote, Italy score three tries in the first six minutes of that game. Okay. 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 Fast start indeed. Yeah. You have to chip. You have to slow the rushing defence. Oh, that's a classic. It's a classic. You have to make them turn. We did all of that. Tactically, we were superb. Sadly, the execution was pear-shaped. Ah. <laughs> Leading to three tries conceded in six, six minutes. minutes. Tactically, we were spot on. Yeah. In that, that all-time worst start, I think, ever in a Six Nations game. Spot on is strong. Yeah. You know, you can dress it up and say... Oh, I think we attempted to do some of the right things that we tried in training, but maybe we just... Oh, shit. Captain that day, Chris Custer, was asked, and he said, it all worked in training, but not out there. <laughs> Which I think some of playing on a post in training. Yeah. I mean, the guy you were playing as was Rob Dewey. Yeah. Like, he's your opposite man. It's a very different deal when it's an angry Italian. Yeah. When in training you're being told, like, oh, just... You know they're going to chip it, but don't charge him down. Very different prospects. Suddenly when it's Andrea Marty in your face. Yes. Yes. So yeah, it was a real hell of a win. Their fourth ever Six Nations win. Really, really significant. And sent them into this World Cup on a bit of a high, you know? Yeah. They'd beaten Wales as well in that year's tournament. First time they'd won two games in the Six Nations. And one of those was in their pool. Was it? That can't happen many times since. It happened in 2013. I think it's happened maybe three times. Yeah, yeah, but very rare occurrence. And again, like this is this is a strong Italy team. Yeah, you know, the, the like they don't really have many injuries or anything that are holding them back. So I feel like this is a proper you know test match in the truest form. Absolutely, absolutely. So if we look at the Italy team. Yes, it is interestingly very similar. To the team that played against Scotland in Six Nations. Oh, really? They've gone really quite similar in the team, but the spines are very different. Okay. So you've got not many changes, but the changes are coming in really important positions. Okay. So Troncon stays in at nine, mm-hmm. right? But at fullback, you have David Bortolucci comes in. Yeah. David Bortolucci, who I think has a fantastic World Cup. He's excellent. He in is... this game in particular, I think this is his best game of the tournament so far. Yeah. And he has some very good games. I think it's his real stand-up performance in Italy shirt. Yeah. I'd never heard of him, I don't think, before watching this. No. And obviously we do the Italian leaving party, but he comes out extremely well at this. Yeah. It's a really bizarre career. So he played for Italy, and I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, but like he was brought in, played in the previous year's Ultimate Internationals in 2006, didn't make the Six Nations squad, wasn't included. Like, they didn't take him. Yeah. And then put him in the wide squad for the warm-ups. We're like, oh, this kid's good. Look at Mm. the size of his boot. Took him to the World Cup, and he got better and better for every game. Played the following Six Nations, then never played for them again. Yeah. Wow. That's that's quite like, mad, because he looks so up to it here. Like, yeah. Just as an all-rounder of a fullback. His last cap for Italy, right? He scored 15 points, playing fullback against England, in a 1923 loss to England. Right, so like, they ran them close. He scored the majority of their points. He was 26, that's his last cap. Never wow. played for Italy again. 
that's so strange that they would have just discarded him because presumably he's not retired off the back of that. That somebody's coming. I guess it was Luke McLean will have displaced him, isn't it? Yeah, who kind of comes in, I suppose, right at the end about two thousand nine. Yeah. yeah, who then I suppose holds that shirt for quite a long time. He does, yeah, or sort of until the Nazi. Yeah. yeah, so they do make the change. I mean, he so he keeps his look the fly off shirt, right? <laughs> it's a state. It's a state. Yeah. So. There's always this thing that every time we go into an Italy episode, I always forget about Romero Pez yeah. until we start watching it. And then I've got a point like really early in the, my notes for this game where I've put Romero Pez happens after Italy have like this quite good attack in the Scottish 22. It's like it's their first attack mm. in the game, right? And they have a rumble up, like Parisio makes a really good carry. And like even Maribu Gamasco makes a good carry. And they're like in the, the opposition 22, they're piling the pressure on. And Romero Pez seemingly grubbers it backwards, which I don't know how is a yeah. thing that's possible to do. Yeah. He's a genuine spectacular player to watch, but not in a good way. Yeah. Like the thing is, I don't even think he's like, spectacularly shit I just mm. don't know what he is so he came in for obviously Roland Di Maringi from the previous week of course or in the Six Nations now this is a name for you okay Andrea Scanavaca. I've never heard of him me neither I was expecting Craig Gower I can't lie but right you want some stats on this guy oh I love stats so he had a nine year international career Okay. First cap against Uruguay in 1999, the 99 World Cup. Okay. Right? Where he played. He then wins 11 caps over almost a decade. That is extremely Italian fly half. Yep. So basically, he was this emergency guy that they caught up every so often. Yeah. Basically, he was second choice and they just hoped whoever was first just didn't get injured. Yep. That's what you're telling me. So he had like this great game against Scotland. And they were like, holy shit, we found the answer. Like, we know we know what we've got. Scored 22 points in that game. Includes an interception try, seven conversions. Italy win 37-17, the biggest ever Six Nations win still to this day. He scored all their points at Twickenham that year. He was, you know, like, just like, had a really solid tournament in the Six Nations. They were like, have we finally found our guy? Have we finally found our guy? Well. Well, 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 well. I, I bet he had a load of... Appearances where we just sat on the bench for the entire 80 minutes and didn't get a cap. I bet he had loads of those. Yeah. Here's the thing, right? He has a very, very busy June leading into this World Cup. Right. So. Is this AI generated? He was, no. He was set to retire in the autumn after the World Cup. In June, he decides he's going to play another season with Rovigo, where he spent almost all of his career. Okay. So he'd come through at Rovigo. He'd played there like almost the entire time. Uh, he spent a season at Canavosio in 2006-7. Then went, no, I'm going to go home. I hate it there. Okay. And I'm going to retire at my home club. At Pablo Canavosio. Yes. Yes. Not Cavazano. Um, Cavazano. Sorry. Yes. So he goes in to take this, you know, to kind of return home. Grand announcement of like, our staff by half, who was great in the Six Nations, inspires us to this record win, is coming home. Finally. Except, right... Two days later, Pierre Bezier drops him from the squad. Ah. Now, Not like he structured any big life decisions around this or anything. No, 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 no. This was right before the summer tests. It wasn't even he didn't make the final squad. They dropped him right before they played the warm-up games. 
They just went, we don't want you. We don't want you anymore, Andrea. Get out Not a chance. (laughs) Not even considering you. Well, he's there, they're like, oh no, I want this. I'm really going to commit to this. I'm going to give you everything you want. Yeah, but you still can't kick a ball, can you? Like, I I know you waited a very long time for this. Like, he was 34. Oh, you know. They should have let him and volunteer. Like, he'd finally got these two like, great the games ball at the boy end. Or, yeah. You know, put the bibs on people or something Oh, he'd like have loved that, taking the bibs out. Yeah. He's one of his best He really best wanted position. it. He yeah. really wanted it. Bless him. So, here's the thing. There's no explanation in the official statement. They just said he will not be any part of the squad any longer. Oh, bless him. And then there was a statement Rodrigo put out saying he is disappointed. <laughs> That was the sole quote, the word disappointed. I bet he was disappointed. So we have no idea why they dropped their starting flight off in the Six Nations. Did he go to the 99 World Cup? Yeah. Okay. So, so he, we'll pick him up. He plays against we'll Uruguay. And we'll see if he was robbed or if he was just dog shit the whole time. I can't wait. We're going to find that out in probably like four years when we cover that podcast. Or next year. Who knows? I don't know. It's ambitious. Yeah. We'll get there in four years. Yeah. But one day we'll find it out. And by sure. then we'll have forgotten who he is. <laughs> Outside of Pez, you have the threatening centre combo of Mirko Bergamasco and Gonzalo Canale. Once again, every time Mirko Bergamasco at 12 comes off my team sheet, I'm shocked again. Yeah. Yeah, the pack is largely the same other than Josh Soul comes in at 6. Yes, I Josh Soul, but I'm not a soldier. He's an odd little player, isn't he, Josh Soul? I don't really know what he was. No, he's sort of just like an anomaly that just sort of happened. I consider him and Dean Budd to be the same player. Yeah, I don't know, like, Josh Salt, Dean Budd was, like, an inexplicable You're So Club player, and then got in the Italy squad and was suddenly class. Mm, I don't know if he was class. No, he was. You remember in the World Cup when he suddenly became Lomu? Against Canada. Yeah, all the same. <laughs> all the same, right? I could play against Canada, and I wouldn't look like Jonah Lomu. I've seen bloody, plenty of rugby players play against Canada who were, like, worse second rows than him. And not look as good as he did. Yeah, I guess so. He was just but... one of those players, like, like Dougie Fife in MLR, right? Who like <laughs> just looks like completely unbelievable when he plays like down a level from what he's used yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's plenty of players who are just like adapt to the same. So players can hack that. Yeah. yeah, but there's some who just like play at the same stat. Like Dougie Fife was as good playing for Scotland as he was playing in MLR. Sure, and that made him unbelievable in MLR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I get that. But yeah, Josh Hall, Josh Soul's a funny one. Again. Yeah. He's a name of a rugby player. He doesn't mean that much to me. And what? again, he fits in very nicely with that killer's song. <laughs> yes. You know, played 75 games for Viadana, 42 games for Aroni. Remember Aroni? Yeah. Best rugby club. 22 games for Zebre in his last season of top flight rugby before he left to go and play for a team in Dubai okay. named the Heartbeat Tigers. Hello, the Heartbeat Tigers. I've not even heard that name before. No, me neither. And I'm delighted to learn of the Heartbeat Tigers. That's the sort of team we regularly reference to each other on the day-to-day. So, you know who I think should sign for the Heartbeat Tigers? Um, wait, wait a minute. James Hart. Okay, no, I'm going to get... Nice. I'm going to give you 20 questions to try and answer this. Oh, no, don't do that. Who should sign for the Heartbeat Tigers? Pierre Bougery. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> You're going to break my brain. <laughs> I wonder what their medical department's like at the Heartbeat Tigers. I hope it's good. Yeah. Unless... It really raises your pulse the way they play. But that's it. Maybe their medical team would be really good if you were all actual Tigers, but just not very good for humans. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> if you arrive in their dressing room, like when Josh Soul signs, and he walks into his medical before he signs on the dotted line, and they bring him in, and there's a bloody saber-tooth waiting yeah. for him. 
I do think that should be the case. That Bengali like, just standing the, there with a clipboard. Like nutrition and physio and like S&C and like all these departments mm. that go into a rugby club to, you know, to turn these athletes into what they are. I think that they should be adapted for whatever the team's name is. Exactly. Like whatever's on the badge. Yeah, exactly. It's like Gloucester. You don't have to be the city of Gloucester. You can be the lion. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. But like, at least one member outfit, of support you know? staff has to be that. Whereas if you play for Los Pumas, yeah. you have to eat like a puma according yeah. to your nutritionist. Yeah. You know? Okay, yeah. And you have All to... your nutritionist has to be a puma. Yeah. Those are the two options, I think. Well, I, I was thinking more that like you have to try, you have to train like the thing that you are. You okay. okay. So yeah. you go to the gym and you just, you just sprint like a puma constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? When do you last see a puma, you know, doing weights? Yeah, that's very true. I've, I've never seen... You know, bloody Celsius sharks. I've never seen a shark doing CrossFit. What happens when it's a colour? How do you train like the colour blue? <laughs> you just have to be really sad. <laughs> so you need to capture the essence of the colour. Uh, that one's different. When it's an abstract concept, it's different. Okay. But if it's an animal, then... Okay. I'll Saracens is easy. Yeah. Like, that's an easy one. Yeah. Right? Harlequins is also easy to do in theory... But a nightmare if you want to prepare for a rugby club, like a Harlequin would. But that's it, because it's that's part of the reason why Cardiff Blues changed their name to Cardiff Rugby. Yeah. So that the, the players prepare. then trained like rugby players. No, um, no, 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 because they haven't changed to Cardiff Rugby players. They've changed to Cardiff Rugby. Uh, the players so they need implied. to They need to play like rugby, and that is why they are shit and dying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 1-0. <one nil. laughs> but anyway, so that's Josh Soule. Yeah. And you can tell is... they're not Cardiff rugby players because they've got no rugby players. <laughs> That's awesome. There's true. only four people in that squad. Yeah. And one of them's Matthew Morgan. None of them have played rugby before. But hey, they just a... think if one of them's called Tina Stubier, yeah, that means. Okay, they've signed Tina Stubier. Yeah. It's all yeah. fine. It's all fine. I, I, I sent that screenshot to one of my friends who's never seen rugby before because I thought he'd appreciate the fact that they signed a player called Tinny's De Beer. Yes. And he did. He thought yeah. That's, that can't be a real name. I was like, yeah. It is. No, it is. He plays for Cardiff, this, apparently. Look, here's the thing, right? You are not shocked at all when you're used to rugby by Tina's De Beer. Yeah. By that name. Because you're just like, yeah, that's obviously a South African fly off. You boost the lever off it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I've never seen Tina's De Beer play properly, but I know exactly what kind of player I know him inside out, mate. Like, I can tell you everything there is to know about him. Yeah. From I know what no minutes of him. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what he's like. I know what he's good at. I know what he's bad at. You can just tell. Yeah. Just after a while, you just get a vibe for players. Yeah. Have we been doing this too long? We've been doing this too long. Yeah. What do have. you think a player called Pierre Bougueri would be like? I think he'll be a hard grafting hooker who's good at the breakdown, very solid at set piece. Here's the thing: Pierre Bougueri is a hard grafting six who never gets a cap for me. You think? Yeah. And I think actually he's he's incorrect by being. You've not been hooker. doing this long enough. <laughs> I've been doing this plenty long enough. So let's look at Scotland. Oh, do we have to? Yeah, we might as well. I mean, it's probably not as exciting a Scotland team on paper as the mm. Italian one. Just looking at the back line alone. So they shift the previously injured Chris Patterson from fly half to the wing, which are two positions I did not think of him as... I did not think of as being his position. But no. that is to accommodate the great Dan Parks at 10. Chris Patterson has played three games in this World Cup. None of them at fullback. His position, his, the only position he can play. Yeah, he's and played look, one game at ten, two games on the wing. I'm very aware that he can play ten and wing, but he, he can't. can't. He can't. He can't. Like if he played in a different era of rugby, he would not have played no. either of those positions. 
Like, later or earlier. Yeah. He wouldn't have. Nor would have let him. Yeah. He would have maybe played wing once or twice for his club. And I'm aware that King Blairhorn is now a thing who does play those positions. But he's a very he's good player Chris to Patterson. Chris Patterson. Yeah. Because yeah. Chris Patterson was just solid at the back. And, like, great yeah. under the high ball. Great, like, defensively in the backfield. Great at organising a backfield. But pace wasn't his thing at all. He is the fullback in the Stephen Myler middle management 15. He is. He is. Which is an extreme compliment, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Because we both rate Chris Patterson, Patterson yep. really highly. Like, he was a world-class fullback for a couple of years, yep. you know? And here's the thing, right? Ben Smith is not in that team. Because no. Ben Smith was a really exciting rugby player. And the joke was he was a very boring person. But he was a phenomenally exciting player. He Chris was like Patterson. The best finish in the world for a bit. Yeah. And, like, phenomenally quick. Like, could break attack like anything. Just unbelievable. Rugby yeah. Player. Chris Patterson and Stephen Myler played like it was a Friday and they couldn't wait to clock off. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's it. And they're just doing their job, and they're like they're good at their job, and so they're like you know they're paid responsibly, whatever. But like what they're really looking forward to is getting in, knowing like the wife hasn't got in, haven't picked the kids up yet, and they can just sit and watch a rear and a Top Gear on Dave. Like Chris Patterson was the manager, right? Exactly. If you got this Scotland team there, and the referee had enough of Jason White as captain, and went right, Jason. Send me your manager. Let mm. me speak to the manager. They were just send Chris Patterson over. Yeah. They'd be like, okay, I'm not the caretaker of this team. You know, I look after all of the sloppy shit that goes on here. What do you want me to do, ref? Yeah, exactly. That was his role. And that was why he was a good rugby player. Yeah. Yeah, his goal kicking and everything else. Grand. Yeah, he was a really good goal kicker. Fantastic. Whatever. No one cares. The main thing was that he was boring in the best possible like, sense. I think Chris Patterson plays really well in this game. I do, I agree. And I think none of it was to do with things that you need to do on the wing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally like, none of it. Him having to be on the wing actively is to the detriment of his game. Yeah. Like, there's one point where they give him like a run down the wing, they yeah. have an overlap, and Scotland very rarely in this era execute those overlaps and yes. they get him the ball and it's just like okay great they've already covered it yeah because he does not have the pace to go down the wing Rory Lamont on the wing would have made more sense because yeah. he's a lot quicker than Chris Patterson and then you've got the two Lamonts on the wing so it's nice it's kind of yeah. thing. it just looks good yeah. so keep that keep, keep that. that keep that also doing? speaking of the back line Simon Webster's playing 13 and I was sick when I saw it <laughs> Fun fact, I think I might have mentioned this before. Mm. The first time he played 12 in his professional career was off the bench against the All Blacks in an Autumn International the year before this. Just awful. Yeah. Just like Simon Webster was a good rugby player, but I don't think he was worth it. <laughs> what about the fingerless gloves, though? Well, exactly. Like, he's responsible for that, like, outbreak of orange fingerless gloves. And he was constantly injured. So, like, was it worth it for him? Yeah. He was constantly shoved about different positions and told he'd be the answer because he scored a few nice tries at Pro 12 level. Oh, it was the answer. Or at Magnus League level, as it was. And because every now and again he'd pop up and score two tries against the Dragons, everyone was like, this is the guy that he's played 13 for us against the bloody All Blacks. Yeah. There's a lesson to be learnt here, and I worry it took Scotland 10 years to learn it. Yeah, he had essentially the same club-level career that Fionn Carr did. Fionn Carr never won a cap. Yeah. Simon Webster was like, and he should have won a cap, don't get me wrong, that's that's no yeah. sly on him, but Simon Webster was seen as like the Great White Hope, well, or that he may well be the Great White Hope. Mm. It was a depressing time to be a Scottish fan. Fionn Carr was a great sevens player, we'll even that out. That's true, that's true. And he was a great 15s player. Great 15s player. But always got two day, tries against the Dragons. One day, we are going to be old, and this is going to be unbearable to listen oh, to it to anyone that's younger than us. Yeah. Right? We're verging on this now. Yeah. Once we hit like 40, 
and suddenly we're going, you remember this winger from the mid-noughties who never won a cap and made one oh, squad once? I hate it. We're going to be awful. I'd just like but to at least unmention, be self-aware. unmention Fionkar, because if I had that happen, I'd hate that. It's that bloody, you know, like, we both grew up reading Wales Online articles about wingers from the 80s. And the thing is, you're like, why do you care? And now I know. Yeah. Because I want to talk about Will Harris all the time. But it'd be hilarious, is yeah. the thing. Like, looking at an article on Will Harris in 10 years' time, I, w- I would just see that as a pure novelty. I want to know where those players are at. You yeah. know, actually, I do want those updates. Yeah. I'm just not old enough to be the target market yet. They're <laughs> not writing that for me. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. Are we done with the Scotland team? I mean, so the the pack is largely to expect from this tournament. Also largely the pack that loses to Italy and Six Nations. Mike Blair, I suppose, is the interesting one. Because mm-hmm. that has been the tussle at nine. Like, yeah. They've gone into the tournament with three really good scrum halves who each had a claim to this shirt. Very evenly matched tussle at nine. Yeah. I think... Weirdly, with, with the Scottish national team, I suppose it probably just says a lot about Blair, Cusseter and Lawson all as players. There was never a, a concrete pecking order for those no. three. No. There were periods in which you felt Custer and Blair were ahead of Lawson. Mm. But there were also periods where Lawson was first choice. Briefly, Greg Laidlaw trickled, trickled into that as yeah. well. And then obviously established himself as being the best of the lot. But after them. After but like them, yeah. after they were phasing themselves out, yeah, like Custer was retiring around the time. And that's of it. Like Greg Laidlaw probably doesn't become a good a player, as good a player as he was, if not for Mike Blair and Chris yeah. Custer retiring and yeah. Rory Lawson. And so it's a kind of it is a significant thing, I think, in terms of Scotland's selection that they go with Blair over Custer because that was the one big tussle every week. And I think it's well deserved. I think Mike Blair's probably yeah. been the stronger in this tournament. Agreed, agreed. Um, and I just I think Custer, when he wins the shirt in the following World Cup, was the stronger in that tournament. Yeah. And I like that they went on the two lines towards either side. One went on either. Yeah, you know, one went in two thousand five. One went two thousand nine. Yeah, I've got a soft spot for both of them. Actually, me too. Mike me Blair. too. And like, even as a coach, Mike Blair, obviously where he's gone now. Mm. Rory Lawson as well. Like, obviously he's left out here, but I really like him as a pundit and as a commentator. I think he's really passionate about Scottish rugby and like what, whatever assignment he's given as a mm. pundit. I think he really he gives it some well in. I like Absolutely. That about Rory Lawson. And do you know what Chris Custer's doing? What's he doing? He now runs a whiskey business. Okay, you can see why I didn't go to him. Because yeah. I just leapfrogged and went straight for Rory Lawson. Chris Cusseter moved to California. No way! To set up a whiskey business importing fine Scotch whiskey to America. There's a player that was wasted and not going to MLR. Like, as in, right? if he came through five years later, he definitely would have ended up at MLR, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he would have started that business on the side whilst playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. the Guiltinis. Or Rugby ATL now, if they're going to be based on that. <laughs> yes, LA. indeed. But yeah, so, you know, he retired in order to run that business, in order to set that up. That's cool. So, I wish him well. I'd like to try his whiskey and uh, also say it's equally as good as Mike Blair's coaching and Rory Lawson's commentary. Indeed, indeed. There is a very brief thing on... Other unlikely career changes by sports people. Okay. Steve Davis, former snooker champion, retired to become a DJ. Yes, I saw him supporting Blur a couple of months ago. Incredible. But Which was my... the most British thing in existence, That's the... by the way. It was, the, the lineup, right, was Blur, Paul Weller, and Steve Davis. Is that not the most British thing you've ever heard? And the selector, who were really good. But, you know, is that not the most British thing ever? Two favourites, though. Mm-hmm. John Chidozzi who was an ex-Nigerian international footballer who played for Tottenham Hotspurs okay. and Notts County, Okay, <laughs> retired to become a bouncy castle salesman. No! <laughs> now, <laughs> that's the best of the lot. Runs a successful, an incredibly successful business selling bouncy castles for children's birthday parties. That's incredible. Here's the thing, if it's in Notts County, what if there's a chance I went on one of his bouncy castles? 
That would be great. Who's to know? Who's to know? Or we, we could book one of these bouncy We could book one of these bouncy castles. We should do that. Okay. If there's any rugby player who's going to start a bouncy castle business, who is it? Mm. Yeah, Bigory. Correct. Arjan Dziwu, however. Okay. Not to call him Dziwu. Yeah. Who is a former Barnsley, Wigan and Portsmouth centre-half. Okay. Right. Player. Hung up his boots in 2009 to become a detective. <laughs> Now we are talking. Yes. Does he detect bouncy castles? I waited. That'd be a hell of a crossover episode. Yeah. But I imagine you should collab. He has the long coat, you yeah. know, and he has the yeah. Tears Dogger hat and the magnifying glass. <laughs> imagine <laughs> like, right. You need a crime solving and then suddenly your your guy comes along, as you say, like in his full trench coat and yeah, yeah the, the the top hat and everything. Imagine right. You're there, you're having a serious, sophisticated conversation with this really dark, mysterious man. You're walking through a park or whatever to sh- show him the, the evidence of like this the crime scene, you know. Mm. And then suddenly he just slots top bins because yeah. a kid's lost well, yeah, his can, football. Can you imagine like getting in and discovering your husband's been murdered? <laughs> and like this this they bring in the detective that's on the case to solve his murder. And she's like, hold on. Did you Are you Dizewoo from yeah, Wigan? Did, did you use the paper Portsmouth? <laughs> Am I am I getting this wrong? Hmm, you used to play for Burnley. In another life, yes, I was a striker, but I must have left that behind. It's absolutely phenomenal. One of my other favourite things is the goalkeeper from the when was the football world cup before the last one? Twenty seventeen. Twenty because the same year as women's oh, football world cups, aren't they? Twenty seventeen. Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Let's say twenty eighteen. 2018, it would be 2018, wouldn't it? Sorry. What sports journalists we are. Um, so, the 2018 World Cup, the Iceland goalkeeper, I believe, mm-hmm. was part-time. He was a part-time, you know, footballer, semi-pro. Do you know what his other job was? What? Uh, he was a film director. No way. Uh, and so he mostly did, like, adverts and commercials and TV stuff. Oh, wait, you might have told me this before. Yeah. And then last year, he made his... He retired from football in order to make his feature film debut. And he made this, like, buddy cop movie that I watched. It's all right. Mm. Like, here's the thing, right? Like, it's not as good as Hot Fuzz, but Edgar Wright's never said a penalty by Messi, which he <laughs> did in the World Cup. So, like, overall, I'd say that guy's ahead. On aggregate, yeah. Yeah, like, he's That's doing all right. Ass. That is bad. Like, it's a hell of a CV to have made a buddy cop movie. Fun fact, in 2020, before COVID, mm. you know Petr Cech, the... Um, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was... Uh, was he Arsenal or Chelsea goalkeeper? One, one of the, the one, one. The one with the scrum, the scrum cap. Yeah, exactly. The one yeah, with the, the scrum football cap. Will, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, like people are going to absolutely slay you for not knowing which team he played for. But anyway, I think Arsenal. Let's say Arsenal. But yes, in 2020, he was booked to play Glastonbury. He he was drumming in a band. Wow. Just like post-retirement football, just for fun. And obviously, like, lad's loaded, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's like, doing he all right, yeah. Didn't, didn't really, like, need to do it. Just for fun. And that would have been great. Yeah. I wonder if he drums in a scrum cap. I hope so. I would. Yeah. If I were him. If I were famous for wearing a scrum cap, I yeah. would drum in a scrum cap. Yeah. If you're like, if like Justin Tipperick goes on to become a bass guitarist or something. When? 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 I expect he's That's when he's growing his hair the... out now. Yeah. He's going to do a scrum cap. Yeah. You need that hair to play the bass. It's just sure. the rules. Sure. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As the teams are coming out, mm. it's reiterated on the Australian comms that we mm. have. Uh, I think it's Rupert McCall is calling mm. this with Ben Chu and Ben Darwin, which is a really great comedy They've been team. so good in this World Cup. Yeah, yeah, I'm such a fan of those. And, like, we have slated a few commentary teams as this has gone on. But those guys are great, and they're it's, so passionate about... There's a sigh of relief when you see you've got Australian comms on this. Correct. World Cup. Yeah, yeah. But they mention a stat as they're coming out. Yeah. That Scotland haven't yet attempted a penalty in this whole tournament. The only team in the tournament of all 20 who haven't attempted a shot... Uh, well, a non-conversion shot at goal. Yeah, which is mad, because you think of this era of Scotland, and you do not think... Oh, yeah, just no, it to try was to do the thing they're famous for, right? And like when I was introduced to Scottish rugby, which was the following Six Nations, mm. I remember our father. If you remember, do you remember him? Uh, not really. Weird yeah. guy. Didn't like him much. I remember him saying like, "That's the thing about Scotland, right? Is they don't score many tries, but they take all the shots of goal, all the penalties they give you, and they'll take everything." And that was his like introduction primer on like what Scottish rugby is like mm. because it was the noughties, and that was fair because they had sure. Chris Patterson. Yeah, you know. However, apparently. Very different situation. I hadn't noticed at all they weren't doing that. No. But I guess they get nil, don't they? Yeah, that's it. There was shit against the All Blacks. Much to Sokol's amusement. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he really enjoyed the lack of penalty taking from Chris Patterson in that game. But he probably enjoyed this one slightly less. Yeah. And here's the thing, right? I'm glad they brought that set up immediately because it is decimated. Yeah. Much like the All Blacks the other week against Romania... The other game in this pool, the previous game in this pool, Scotland get off to an absolutely flying start. But when the All Blacks score an utterly spectacular try, Scotland squeeze Italy for a penalty that Chris Patterson knocks over from the corner. That's it. Like, as a commentator, you look at that and think, I've fucking nailed that. Yeah. I've yeah. told that stat in the 30 seconds where it was still relevant. Yeah. Because literally right from the kickoff, Scotland, like, hammer Italy off the kickoff. Winner put into the scrum, winner scrum penalty, Marcy knocks it over, 3-0. Stat is gone. Stat is shattered. They didn't kick a whole penalty in the first 80 times 3 minutes of this World Cup. Yes. 240? Something like that, yeah. yeah. They didn't get two in the first four minutes. Yeah. And clearly they'd got the memo and just wanted to prove the haters yeah. wrong. I think this is an opening kind of quarter that really sets the tone for the full game. Mm. And the full game is a less exciting version of the first 15 minutes. Yes and no. I think until the last 15 minutes. Sure, yeah. Okay. But that's, that's for very No, it's a less reasons. eventful but equally stressful. Yes. Yes, I can agree with that. It's sort of like a, like a paranoid thriller movie where there's like everyone gets killed off in the first 15 minutes and you know mm. the main character could die at any point. Yes. We've been the middle of the section of the film like sort of like sort of tense but not as tense as you are at the start and end. Yeah. Where, like, everyone is dying and everyone, anyone could die right at the end because, like, it's the end of the movie, you know, anything yeah. could happen. Yeah. You sort of, like, the middle section isn't quite as, I perhaps suppose, tense, but it is enthralling. Like, yeah. you're never drawn sure. out of it. 
for sure. And yet there are some just like bizarre moments of mm. the game randomly opening up for like five or six yeah, yeah, yeah. like phases of seconds, seconds, yeah. And then suddenly closing up again for several minutes. It's a really weird game to kind of analyse in the first half hour or mm. so. Now, do you remember a point earlier in this tournament? And I believe it was uh, when Italy played Portugal. And the reason why I bring this up, because I believe it was relevant for Italy. It might have been Romania-Portugal now I think about it. But the Pissarra box kick where it went horribly and it got sort of charged down, but it didn't actually require a charge down because mm. it just completely mishit it. Yeah, and it yeah. led to a try against yeah. Portugal, right? Yeah. There's a moment where there's a bit of a flashback to that. Except the difference is, right, and obviously Pissarra is a... You know, well-respected player within an era of Portuguese rugby that's very important. Yeah. Um, Bloody load of caps he did. Yeah, did very, very well for himself. You know, like, part of that first really celebrated Portuguese generation Mm. of, of, like, serious rugby players. Yeah, for sure. He's not a 100-cap international, is he? No, and not, oh, your country... A groundbreaking player for his country and, like, oh, this is, like, a properly world-class player coming through for your country. Like, I don't know, um... Uh, there's a few players that you could change that off, but I would say one of them is called Alessandro Troncon. Yes. Now, I think, I'm just going to say up front, Troncon has a fantastic game here. Yeah, I he think does. he's generally, of the aged nines we have in this tournament, because there's a few scrum halves who are kind of legends that are hanging on a bit, right? Oh, um, mate, him, Gus Picho, George Gregan, but, like Jean-Baptiste Salazar. Yeah. You look at all those guys and go, how are you still playing? Yeah. And they're all good. They're Gregan all good. is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Picho is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Elisard is inexplicably good. He's fucking mental. I think Troncon's been the one so far where you're like, he's more of a mixed bag. I think he's very good in this tournament, but you, the whole time you look at him and go like, oh, you're... but I wish I could see him play in his day. Exactly. Exactly. Like, he's kind of playing on what he can... He's adapted this game and he's playing on what he can do now. Yeah. And that isn't necessarily the best rugby we could be seeing. No. You know? He's just playing I think on he's, a, he's still the best option. Yeah, he looks like a far more limited player than he perhaps has been. Yeah. He is the one where I think there's been the sharpest drop-off from his peak. I definitely Of those other nights. I, I would have guessed been, it would have been Gregan, and yeah. yet. Yeah, because you don't hear people talk about Gregan in 2007, no. right? Whereas people do talk about Troncon carrying on and winning his 100th cap in this tournament. Yeah. And this is 101st, you know? Yeah. And what turns out to be his final. Yeah. Like, we, we're talking about Alexander Troncon, one of Italy's all-time greatest players, final game for Italy here. Yeah. But yeah... He, I think he has an absolutely fantastic game. I think Agreed. it's the best game of the tournament. I say quite safely. I think he's, he's one, one of the best, players, best players. Yeah. If not, yeah. One um, I think he's fantastic. And I think he shows, now it's a really tight game, the real value he had to this Italy team. Yes. Because it was the fact that he could just take a game by the strength of the It was his brain yeah. more than his body. Yeah. You know, at that point, no matter how much of his form he's lost or how, you know, how slow his legs are. Yeah. He was... They have their all-time greatest scrum half managing the game for them. Yeah. That is yeah. the best thing that they could hope for. And that was his kind of whole thing, was he would, in a period where Italy really needed that, when they were first kind of climbing the tiers, grab a game by the scruff of the neck and just, like, hold it down underwater like it's Warren Gatlin doing fitness <laughs> training. Exactly. And just, like, force it to try and breathe. The sad thing... And that thing. was why he worked with Dominguez so well, because Dominguez could take chances once they were forced. Mm. You know, that was his kind of, like, USP. And Troncon would force them. Yeah. And the two of them were, like, this just inspired combination. Obviously played over 50 games together. Um, and then Troncon continued with Ramiro Pez, where he didn't quite have the same results. Yeah. The sad thing about this whole eulogy that we're doing to Alessandro Troncon, one of his yes. players, is the word but is going to come at the end of it. But. 
His attempted clearance, his attempted box kick on this, his final game for Italy, shows perhaps his age. When I say the legs are slow, you assume I mean running rather than having one of them stand on the floor and the other one kick a ball. If you were hypothetically to imagine what it's like to box kick whilst holding a Zimmer frame, (laughs) be a bit like this. It really is. It's honestly, this whole thing happened in slow-mo, didn't it? That... Troncon tries a box kick and just misses his leg, seemingly. Yeah. As it's you say, awful. it's the coordination between his arms and his legs is just off. And it just leaves his utter on the shambles, which was the word of the year, that year, 2007. Oh, it's um, a really good, year, good word. Thank you. And year. And Scotland regather it, they pick it back up. And they're like, cool, should we do some rugby here? Yeah, so the first person to pick it up is Chris Patterson. And yes. he gets it, and he's on the wing. So he goes, nuh-uh. Yeah, he sees the trial in front of him. He sees he's a winger in the 11 shirt with the trial in front of him and no defenders. A couple are coming across, knowing what he has to do. And that is pass. Yeah, he goes, nuh-uh, I'm not hitting the line from fullback. No. I'm not scoring this bitch. And then, Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's that what he is... said. You could hear him wow. on the on the comms. And then he passes the ball instead to Ali Hogg outside him, I believe, who goes, okay, fair enough. If you wanted a winger, then you've got a wing forward. So he has a bit of a trundle and then offloads the ball back in field. He's offloaded it and the ball's gone to floor. Fair yeah. enough. Like, this happens. It's Scotland close to the line. That's just what always happens. And then the referee blows his whistle. You see the replay and you go, oh, shit. I just <laughs> realised what's happened here. Because the reason it went to the floor is Mauro Bergamasco just goes and just takes Simon Taylor from behind off the ball to prevent a try in fairness. So it is quite smart because he yeah. could feasibly get away with this. But he's also Mauro Bergamasco and he has no subtlety to the way he cheats no, at all. That's the thing about the Bergamascos, right? It's like they are the anti-subtlety rugby players. The thing is, people do talk about Mauro Bergamasco as one of Italy's like greatest ever back row forwards. Yeah. And in terms of his... In theory, they're right, because he's got a good skill set, and he's got a really good understanding of how to play international rugby, but he just, he just was too shit for me to agree with that. So like, cause like, again, like, he would choose the right moments to cheat. He just wouldn't get away with it, because he's got like, the big floppy hair and gangly arms, and just really like, outward body language. And it's, yeah, exactly. It's part of his body language where he's just always like, his limbs are always screaming. Mm. You know, he's always sort of like, you can't see me doing this. But he's always sort of like flailing and shouting and he's that very like passionate, fiery thing. Yeah. It was what made him and his brother good at rugby, you know. It's yeah. largely that like, the way the passion like came through their body like a salsa dancer. Yeah. Uh, but instead, it sometimes came up badly, right? And he was man of the match in that win in Scotland, against Scotland in Murrayfield. Oh, wow. I think he is utter dog shit in this game. <laughs> Mate. Again, like sometimes you see moments in a game where you're half an hour in and you go, oh my God, he's done brilliantly to sprint back there, get over the ball, and sure he's killed mm. it, he's done it illegally, but he's killed an overlap there, he's killed a chance, right? And the thing is, if he hadn't 20 minutes earlier in the game given away a really stupid, obvious offside penalty, which means the referee's looking out for him the mm. entire game, then that would be a really good bit of open side play. And he always shoots himself in the foot because he's just so unsubtle. It's a thing that I think is underrated about Richie McCaw, right? Is his, A, haircut that he had that was the same for, like, his entire life. Yeah. He still has the same haircut he had when he was in the end 20s. A, I respect that enormously. Yeah. 
But it was unfashionable for a long time. Yeah. And yet he pulled it off. But also, right, he was just like some dude, you know? (laughs) Rishi McCall, ultimately. To say he also had the aura we've talked about in other episodes. He was just some some guy, and he would get things... When he was cheating, he did it quickly, so he wouldn't be noticed. So no one was paying attention to him. Bergamasco is not like that. Bergamasco is like a guy who understands when to cheat, but not how to cheat. Yes. And it gets in his way constantly. And it is, I think, the thing that costs Italy the game here. Yeah. Uh, I think they win this game. Like, so... Bergamasco gets himself a yellow card. It's a yellow card. Eight minutes off board time. Right? Yeah. So he's been, the assistant spots it, referee calls him over, goes, mate, off you go. And Italy go, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, so much better without him, aren't they? So the moment he goes off, right, having looked in free fall, they've conceded two penalties in four minutes. They're now back on their own trial line, like back from 10 metres of their own line with the opposition having the ball for the third time in seven minutes. And suddenly Scotland kicked for the corner now. Like, we've got them on the ropes here. You know, like, we really struggle with Six Nations, but we're going to just, like, destroy them here. Yeah. Italy, their mall defence is phenomenal. Brilliant. They push Scotland out. They, you know, repel them all. Carlo Del Fava. Carlo Del Fava. He knows what he's doing in a mall, man. It's absolutely brilliant. They repel Scotland, win the ball back from the line out, clear it, get downfield, and suddenly the whole game is changing. Yeah. Everything is changing in front of them. So we're mm. a lot about Mario Bergamasco there, right? There's a certain aspect of this game that we're going to have to talk about. And it's certainly the other day where I wanted to talk to you about this, having watched the game before you, and I was like, I can't spoil it for you. But there is a concept that comes up in this game, which is the Pez Bomb. Yes. Yes. And here's the thing. Of all of the rugby tactics, the Pez Bomb is the one... That shouldn't work, but does work the most. It's crazy because he looks like he's showing off how high he can kick the yeah, ball. Yeah, exactly. He's he's not going, okay, I'm going to go for some tactical kicks. He's going, oh, lads, look at this. Look how high I can I kick the ball. When I how high can you kick the ball? Yeah, when I was a kid, asking uh, our dad, do you remember him? No, not no, really. I'm struggling. Some weird guy. I yeah. don't pay much attention. I remember asking him to just like, sometimes I just ask him to like kick the ball as high as he could. Because I found it really cool how high he could kick the ball sometimes. Yeah. And you just have a look and be like, whoa, it's so high. Whoa. Yeah, he did have a boot that. on him to be fair. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. And he walked right out of them. So that is what Ramiro Pez is doing. Yeah. Ramiro Pez, the word I had in my notes is, hey <laughs> That is exactly the kind of vibe he gives off when he goes to kick it. He just kind of goes, woohoo! Just yeah. like bumps it as high as he can. Like he's having a great time sending it up in the air. And everyone else can just deal with that. He's having fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. Look, everyone else have their turn with the ball. There's the cliche of like, oh, it's come down with snow in it. But rather than that, like, Pez received a postcard from the ball before he received yeah. the ball back, you know? But, like, that was only because he asked it to give him one. Yeah, like, and his aliens exist now. Here's the thing. Romero Perez is a baffling rugby player, but he looks like he loves putting up bombs. Yeah, <laughs> like, he does. I understand nothing about him, but now, having watched this game, I know that he really enjoys high balls. It did teach me some things about Romero Perez. Yeah, like, game. we could do a separate respect of Romero Perez. We'd go for every game we ever played, and we would still not understand him. It takes until here. We would, yes. We wouldn't get him at all. No. However, this game gave me the most answers on what a Romero Pez is yes. that I've ever seen. Yes. Which is basically someone who's useless, but loves, loves, loves 
to do the odd silly thing on a rugby pitch. Yeah, and it's not even like, oh, he's got a massive boot. He, it, no. he does at one point send a 50 pez D2 as I've yes. nailed, uh, as I've uh, uh, noticed it down. But it's, he just hits it high. He d- the distance isn't a thing, but the height is fucking mental. It's just like he's a law unto himself. Mm. I don't understand him. I don't get him. I don't know quite what's going on. It's all very, very odd. And it's a real shame that he missed out on the 2003 World Cup. It is. So that we can't... This is the last time we'll talk about Ramiro Pez. I podcast. don't think that's a shame. I think it's fair that he played in 20, 2007 and that was it. I think <laughs> yes. that's entirely the player he was. I have no objections. You can go back and look at his like one game for lesser Tigers if we want. Okay, we'll add that to the queue. But... So, as you say, there's this moment where the momentum's turning slightly in Italy's favour. And then the the OG Pez Bomb TM happens. And he sends the ball miles into the sky. And here's the thing. The thing that adds to a Pez Bomb, right, is a Burger Chaso. <laughs> yes, the Burger Chaso. It's worth, before we go into this, cha- the Burger mm. Chaso, we should stress that the referee for this game is... Your friend, yes, Jonathan Kaplan, your favourite, probably your favourite racist referee of all one time. Of, one of my top ten alt-right, pro-Trump, yeah, like, anti-woke bullshit <laughs> referees that yeah. I've seen. Like, one of the best referees who was incredibly pedantic in his day and a real stickler for, like, letter of the law bullshit that has since become... The kind of guy who ignores reality okay. in order to just peddle, like, hateful bullshit. Real fan of him. Real okay, fan of yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can gather that. But anyway, he's the referee for this game. Yes. I just, I just, for no real reason, felt I was relevant to mention before I bring up the Burger Chaso. Because the Burger Chaso begins. And this is a testament. Because we're about to discuss, like, five or six things that happen. Yeah. And this is all while the ball is in the air. Like, so much goes on on this pitch whilst the ball is still out of the stadium. It is like we enter a separate pocket of time, isn't it? It's like yeah. we enter, like, a separate world. Everything goes into slow motion. Yeah. So, Moko Bergamasco starts chasing, and he shuffles around Rob Dewey, his opposite man in the defensive line, and goes, right, okay, I'm going to put my head down now and really get after this ball. At which point, Bergamasco falls over. And you go, oh, Bergamasco, oh wait, Bergamasco's fallen over because he's just ran into Jonathan Kaplan. That wasn't how I saw it. And they both fell over. That wasn't how I saw it at all. Go on. How I saw it was I was watching my eyes run Bergamasco as he chased this ball. Because, you know, the ball isn't a shot. You know, it won't be a shot for another 20 seconds. something. Yeah. So I'm watching Bergamasco and you can see the referee is right in front of him the entire time. And the referee is not looking behind him and checking if he's in anyone's way. No. So... Bergamasco is looking straight at Kaplan and he can either adjust his line or he can barrel straight into him. Because it's one of those where you've at least got an excuse. Yeah. You know, you, you can't have the game stopped for that because the ball is not in the stadium. And so... It's not making any yeah. impact on play. Bergamasco sees the referee right in front of him. He's still going full pelt and he drops his head and shoulders into like an NFL like charging shape. And pelts into him to bowl him over? Because, as I say, Bergamasco does briefly hit the deck. But Jonathan Kaplan goes flying. Yeah. 
Jonathan Kaplan is basically in the next rock 10 metres forwards. Yeah, yeah. And again, like, the ball is maybe... Hit maybe the peak of its flight at this point and is about yeah, to it's, it's considering its its descent you yes. know? it's turned back on the uh, the, the landing seat lights. Belt yeah, lights. Like, yeah it's just like it's starting to ask for permissions back home yes and so as the ball gradually starts to come back to terra firma Mirko Bergamasco who is not fast makes it from about 30 metres out to 5 metres out like he does that sprint mm. again whilst the ball is nowhere near back down at which point Rory Lamont then goes where is the ball? Like, where is it? Come on. I meant to catch this thing. I meant to call a mark for it. I meant to probably kick it again. Like, that's that's what the norm is on the rugby field. Where the fuck is this thing? Has anyone seen it? Like, we need to carry on playing, and I've lost my toy. You've also got Canale chasing. Yeah. Who is just, like, running around. Yeah. <laughs> He's sort of just there. He's, He's just, just like, covering ground because the ball could land anywhere. Yeah. No one's seen it in a while. He's just sort of running the straight line, nowhere near the ball. Cause... And in case the ball comes down in two different pieces, yes. he might take half of it and score. You can make him and, and Masco taking two each. Yeah. And both diving over synchronised swimming style. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so he's just sort of like hanging around. Yeah. He just looks quite happy with himself. Yeah. At which point, after a while, and I do mean a while. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, I'd ball, say five to ten minutes. Yeah, the ball re-emerges on the television set. Yes. <laughs> you can suddenly see it on the top of the vision. And you're like, ah, oh, there it is. The ball will be down with us in about 12 seconds. Yeah, and that's, that's from the wide angle. And the thing is, obviously, when it goes up, it's going to come down with a lot of speed, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously it does that. And then Rory Lamont, and I do not use this phrase lightly, shits himself. <laughs> yes, because he's got both this ball, right... That has been round the sun and is now coming back with like this incredible weight of Just force. velocity, yeah. Yeah, like it is now like six times the weight it was before. And size, yes. Bloody Superman stopped off and has like given it a little super nudge. boot. Yeah. Yeah, super boot's probably like seen it in orbit and given it an extra yeah, pile. He probably volleyed it from Mars yeah. to send it back. Just way he hangs out now. Yeah. Like this ball is coming down with such ferocity and coming at him in the other direction. Is Mirko Bergamasco. And that's it. Mirko Bergamasco obviously isn't scary, but he is bonkers. Yeah. Like, and big. Like, if that guy broke into your house, you would be more scared than if, I don't know, yeah, let's say Martin Castro Giovanni broke into your house. Because you look yeah. at Martin Castro Giovanni and you go, like, oh, but he's quite friendly. Yeah. He's clearly made a mistake. He's just knocked on the wrong door. Or if Mirko Bergamasco, you look at him and you think, you are insane. I am going to die. Yeah. So. I don't and blame Rory Lamont for being scared. Here's the thing, yeah. He probably thought, like, Mirko Bergamasco was made out of 5G or something. Yeah. And he just shat <laughs> himself, true. going like, ah, oh, shit, I'm going to be an entirely diseased boy. Yeah, it's true. And he had a chat with um, Jonathan Kaplan about that. Afterwards. Yeah, yeah, He yeah, said, yeah. like, come on, you can't allow that try because the ball had 5G on it. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? No one pays attention. No one, no one knows this, that, like, a ball is held up if it's got 5G on it. yeah. Yeah, because it's not been grounded. You've no, grounded the 5G. 5G. Yeah, yeah, it's not 5 It doesn't count. That physical thing Honestly. that exists. But needless to say, Rory Lamont drops the ball. Yes. That's what I'm trying to but say. But like, it's not that he drops the ball. It's like he like volleyball spikes it back up in yeah. the air. He just wants nothing you know, to do with it. You know it. like in volleyball when they like send it back up in the air for a yeah. team to like, slap back yeah, down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of slapping it back down, Gonzalo Canale, who's just been like, Having a little wander, you know, yeah. he's, like, he's like walking his dog, you know. He and, strolls to yeah. the try line. And he just like looks up and he's like, oh, right, okay. And he kind of catches it above his head. 
very surprised the ball is coming his way. Surprised that he's won. Yeah. And so he regathers it and gets up like, you know, like inches from the trial line suddenly. Mm. And Bergamasco was like, what? This, what? And the thing that happens here to Scotland is, okay, let's say we're playing a game of FIFA, right? Yeah. We're playing a game of FIFA against each other. And you've paused the game to go to the toilet. And you've just said, just, just give me a minute, I'm just going to go to the loo. Mm. Uh, I'll be back in a moment. All right, all right, no worries, mate, no worries, mate. And then you're in the middle of laying a fat log in that toilet and just showing it how it's done, yeah. right? Proper session. Oh, yeah, proper session, yeah. At which stage I go, you know what would be funny? If I just unpause the game. Yeah. I reach over to your controller, I press start, and then carry on playing without you. That's what happens to Scotland here. <laughs> yes. Because Scotland are like, oh, okay, well, we've not got a ball. Clearly, clearly we're not going to yeah. play until we've got one. And then Italy pressed the resume play button and Alessandro Troncon has glitched to the try line. Like, that's it. Like, Canale drops over. Bergamasco, like, tries to do a pick and go that goes terribly. <laughs> like, how could you not score against this? There's no defence. And so, obviously, Troncon goes, all right, I'll do it myself. Yeah. Picks it up, darts over, and you're like, oh yeah, obviously that was going to happen. Why didn't I see that coming the moment Canale fell to ground? Yeah, yeah. And Scotland just like, again, was so slow to react from the fact that they had no idea where that ball was going to fall. And Troncon scores seemingly inevitably, but also in the most unpredictable way. The enormous step up that Italy have made since Mara Bergamasco was sent to the Simbin. I know, yeah. So pronounced. Off the kickoff, Parise makes like a clean 35 metre break as well. And they have their tails up here, big time. Shortly afterwards as well, they then get a penalty, not long after that pre break. Mm. On the halfway line, right in the corner, and the mad lad, David Bottolusi, goes, I fancy a crack here. Standard of goal kicking in this game is outstanding, isn't it? Yeah. Bottolusi nails that from 50-odd metres, makes the score 6-10, which is brilliant. And here's the thing, right? During the period... Where Mara Bergamasco was in the Simbin, which is 10 minutes of the game, Italy score more points than they do in the rest of the game put together. Yeah, yeah. And they concede none. Yeah. There's a really great point where Italy do a little chip over the top, mm. and this is the last play before oh, Bergamasco God, yeah. comes back on. Yeah. And Rory Lamont has this moment where he looks at the ball and goes, well, clearly the best thing I can do, no matter what, is just get Bergamasco back on the pitch because he's playing for the opposition and he's playing terribly. So he just volleys the ball into touch and I rate it. Yeah. Uh, and then Bergamasco comes back on. It does like, it does cause him to injure himself and prompt Hugo Southwood to come on. Yes. He's like volley as he's got a man like running straight at him. Like It's because the ball had 5G in it. So yeah, that's it true. That's leg. true. Yeah. Because it went into space and then touched the satellite. Exactly. Got 5G, came back down. Yeah, exactly. Hate that happens. But yet, Pez misses a drop goal as well, which is a thing that happens. Yeah, I mean, it, it's terrible. Nothing more to say about no. it. However, so Mario Bergamasco comes out of the Simbin, right? And he has a moment, because clearly, and I really rate this from Bergamasco, he had watched the game really intently mm. while he was off and gone like, oh, the boys are killing it now. Like, they've got all the momentum. They probably could do without me. Mm. Like, I'm not what they need right now. I should really sacrifice myself here. So the first thing he does when he comes out the sim bin, right, is somebody, and I don't know who, but if I did get a number for who this was, they would be dick of the day shortlisted big time. Somebody buys a dummy from Dan Parks. And look, I'm not going to lay too heavily on that, but that is a fucking crime right there. Buying a dummy from Dan Parks. 
who makes a clean break, like an actual line break. And like Dan Park's a great player, great kicker with the ball. And no, I'm not going to, I'm not no, going to go into this. No, 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 Look, no, 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 no. Let's give it. Dan Park's is a great kicker with the ball. That is it. It's, it's not worth the time for me to go into this. Dan, Dan Park's. Dan Park's is but, a min-max rugby player. Yeah, he was purely a boot. Dan, Dan Park's makes a clean break, right? And I don't want to talk about it, but like to, I think I think rugby fans now who are younger, you know, the kind of mm. generation under us who never saw Dan Park's play. Genuinely wouldn't believe Dan Park as a player. Yeah. That he played in the professional era. And that he was good. Yeah. Because he just doesn't make sense. No. Because he like, to nowadays, he could never happen. No. Like, he was the last player of his kind, of a player who was purely a kicking and passing fly half. Never saw him take, no, I saw him take contact once in his entire career. And I probably watched him like 80 or 90 times. Yeah. Yeah. Over his career. Well, like, he didn't take this contact. This was the second time I've ever seen yeah. him take a tackle. Uh, in the game as a fly half he's the player who touches the ball most yeah you know anyway so he he makes a clean break which again I, I'm not I'm not going to talk too much about it but when he makes said clean break Mauro Bergamasco stands in front of him and goes okay I don't do here and he sticks his leg out and trips him up yeah and how stupid do you have to be to get out the sim bin and go yeah okay I'm going to do that again here's the thing though yeah I'm going to clear his yellow card offence you were begging for him to get that second yellow and get sent off. Yeah. And the thing is, the longer the game goes on, the more and more you wished he had. Yeah. I think Marabogamasco here has maybe the worst game of any player in this World Cup. It's like not a great... He is the reason he loses game for me. Yeah. Because he is so, so indisciplined. Yeah. Italy, like, for the 10 minutes he isn't on the field, and he is on the field for the other 70, he isn't taken off or anything. They are so much more accurate, disciplined... All the things that they look generally, whether like they're kicking well, they look accurate, you know, like there's execution there, it's then let down by penalties, right? Yeah. A solid like 70% of the penalties are Bergamasco. Yeah. During that period in the Simbin, they lose 70% of the penalties aren't being given away because he isn't there. Yeah. And suddenly, the moment that's not there, the referee isn't looking for the other 30%, and suddenly yeah. they look squeaky clean. 100%. Suddenly, like Scotland's penalties and Scotland's indiscipline matter so much more. Because Italy, are, you know, they've reduced their infringement 70% because one guy got sent to the bin. And also, if they'd taken Bergamasco off at half-time, I think they'd win this game. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. The other thing is, Dan Parks makes that break. If that's Brian Habana, it's worth sticking your leg out and tripping him. <laughs> yeah. It's Dan Parks. He has no gas whatsoever. He has yeah. no pace. You've easily got any of your backs will catch him within 5 or 10 metres. They're 40 metres out from the goal line mm-hmm. here. Dan Parks isn't going to go and score a try or even set one up. They've got Chris Patterson on the wing. What's he going to do? Come on, score himself. Like, no. That's, they're completely fine. Yeah. Why on earth would he do that? And yeah, so Jonathan Kaplan misses this yeah. and doesn't give him the yellow card. And as you say, like, it would have been the best thing for both teams if he did get sent up. And yeah. It's the f- very first passage of play after coming out of the Simbin. And look, I think the reason he isn't brought off is they had Girardini as the cover flanker right? on the bench. It's mental. Yeah, I think it's just a World Cup stretch of the squad. They had injuries. Yeah. Situation. But you honestly, the Simbin period shows you would be better off playing with fourteen without him. Yeah, like, he's that big a detriment to your team in this Valer- game. Valerio Bernardo, he could play back, right? Yeah, or Gherardini could. Yeah, you know, a stretch like you can force him. Parise, let Parise go full fit him. You know, yeah. let Parise play both back row positions. Exactly, it's what he wanted. Yeah, honestly, Who- insane from Bergamasco. Instantly, right? We mentioned him in passing. Sergio Parise has a phenomenal first He's half. He's outstanding. Like, I think he quietens in the second half, but, like, he is absolutely unbelievable in the first half. The thing, and again, like, to just take, steal this point from mm. the later Italian leaving party, Sergio Parise just plays like a number eight in this World Cup. Yeah. Rather than yeah. playing like a mad cunt. 
and I love yes. I love him playing like a mad cunt, right? But also, like, it's really interesting that the Sergio Parise in this World Cup is different from the one in 2011 yeah. and the one in 2015-19. Where in that time, his ego is inflated, he's given the captaincy, he kind of just grows to being... This... And he's a better player. Yeah, yeah. But there is that kind of like, by 2019, he was an ego and social rugby player. Yeah. In 2015-2011, he was a very good rugby player that had an ego. Yeah. Here, he's just a really good rugby player. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get an ego, like, Sergio. Yeah, he's not as good as he would be. He doesn't kick the ball once, though. No. I know, he shapes to once. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Like, he weighs it up on that one break he makes. But yeah, it kind of... The whole rest of that half kind of starts to slide away. It's like Scotland kick another penalty that's given away by Bergamasco. Yeah. Um, and it's like, we don't have stats for this game, you know, so I can't see how many penalties are conceded by Bergamasco. There's, um, Troncon does an insane implosion at one point where mm. Italy throw like a really telegraphed pass and Dan Parks, uh, once again, Dan Parks goes for the intercept because he doesn't want to make a tackle. Like he, it was a thing he regularly did where like if somebody passed through kind of oh, 10, 12 times, every time, he yeah. would shoot for an intercept and nine times out of 10 would drop it, but just kind of to avoid making a tackle. And he bats the ball up, at which point Alessandro Troncon just clotheslines him off the ball. So, so it's a knock-on rather than a mm. penalty. Jonathan Kaplan misses this and it takes the touch judge to then come in and go, no, number nine is close. Like, like you know, on, and again, it's a localised reference to you, mm. but on Rugby 2011 when you press yeah, R1, the, it's that exact it animation. Like, yeah. The great thing is Nathan Heist is a legend of the game as well. Yeah, he does. So it, it very much feels like they're both using the same animations. Yes, and so, the score at half-time is 12-10, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, Scotland go in 12-10 ahead, which With, I think is a fair reflection of the game. I agree. Mossy also tries a 60-metre drop goal, which is charged down on the straight half-time. Oh, it's Dan Parks. Is it Dan Parks? Dan Parks. Yeah. This is, like... That's just, like... So, Scotland play, like, a really long sequence of phases to wind down the clock to half-time on halfway. Because they're clearly, like, nothing's going on, you know, we just take half-time, we're just going on with this, because it's... You know, clearly a really tight game. They really want to win this. They lost in the Six Nations. Huge embarrassment. Mm. They know they can get into the quarterfinals, which isn't always a given. And they also know, crucially, because of what's happened in the other pool, they're likely going to play Argentina, who they know they can beat and know they did beat the last few times they played them. Mm. So this is a really favourable draw. It's a real good chance for them to, you know, have equal their best World Cup result ever, which was a semi-final in 91. And so you get that sense, you know, that's kind of going through the head and they're really tense and tight. Then they pass it back on, you know, 40 minutes and two seconds to Dan Parks, who is in his own half, and he attempts a drop goal, which I've never seen him nail anything like that in that <laughs> range. And he gets charged down, goes backwards, he ends up scrambling, and eventually Mossy has to put it out, like, let the adults do the work here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just Dan Parks being, like, this utter weird liability. He has such a strange game here, Dan He's Parks. such a weird guy. I know. I, I have no idea whether Dan Parks is brilliant or shit in this game. Uh, but yeah. so many games he's he Dan has Parks. Are like that. He's yeah. Dan Parks. That's what he was. Like, we did it in 2011. There were several games where I think we gave him man of the match, but also acknowledged he was shit in the game. Yeah. Like, and lost in the game. Such a weird player, man. Such a weird player. But second half, Borsalusi attempts an absolutely absurd penalty from his own half in the corner. We haven't really talked about David Borsalusi, but his kicking in all aspects is so crucial for Italy. So also, he's working on the high ball. He's very good on yeah. the high ball. Like, the way he covers ground in the backfield is yeah. just exceptional. Like, way ahead of his time. Yeah. But then, just having that weapon, there's a few times Italy will go two passes back in through in 22, or they'll, you know, like, 
willingly concede 20 metres. Yeah. Because his boot is 20 metres longer than Pez's. Yeah. 30 metres longer than Pez's. So they're suddenly making ground by putting it out in the full. And he, like, nails an almost 22-22 kick. You know, the touch finder. He's just, like, absolutely brilliant in that first half. Yeah. So assured. Kicks the penalty as well that puts them, you know, up to 10 points. And then, yeah, is attempting that ridiculous goal from and he misses on it halfway. Like, yeah. But, but it's a hell of a strike. It's so close. It's so close. It just dips under the bar. And there's a lot of, in this World Cup, just ridiculous penalty attempts from absurd, mm. like, unrealistic angles. But with him, you get it. So it's a, Scott Johnson, who was the Welsh attack coach at the time, mm. would later go into coach the Ospreys and the USA. And Scotland, very briefly, during a period in which he then got called out as a clown on radio by a really angry journalist that led to him resigning. It was a whole state of affairs. So he used to refer to these as, like, like a free hit, those goals, mm. which I think was kind of the feeling around the time where the idea was you lose nothing by missing that shot of goal so you'd give it as a go right but the reality is you lose an opportunity to have a line out in the yeah, opposition 22 you, exactly you're losing a chance to make 30 metres yeah. right which is kind of the point in the game mm. and makes those shots of goal easier if you do get down there yeah instead you know that was kind of the attitude of like well no it's a free hit you might as well take it because you know what's the worst that can happen you miss they kick it back to you in the same position where you kicked it. Like, yeah, but you could have been 20 metres down Yeah, yeah. That, that actually has changed. You know, yeah. I think uh, you then have like the extra taking it to an extreme as well and Rob sure. Baxter during the lead at them winning Champions Cup. And just never taking three points in yeah. any circumstance. Yeah. So the Pez bomb happens. Yes! We love the Pez bomb. He absolutely twats it. And again, they have sort of five to ten minutes of just waiting around, checking your stopwatch, seeing if anything happens, whatever. And cometh the Hugo Southwall... He takes it brilliantly under pressure. That's the first time for everything. <laughs> Hugo Southall spends most of this game doing his trademark just running into things. Yeah, of course he does. Like, there's another point where there's, a, there's another Pez bomb. I don't remember when it was. I didn't note it down. Mm-hmm. There's another Pez bomb where he just runs into one of his own teammates and lets pass and deal Classic. with it. And, like, I think he just runs into Sean Lamb and it's just like, <laughs> it's just nice to feel held, isn't it? Yeah. He's just like a law unto himself. And... Yeah. Look, I've never rated Hugo Southwell. Sometimes you get those players where you just never rate them. Johnny Williams, I just don't rate him at all. Yeah. You know? Hugo Southwell, never rated him. I never will. I mean, capable of seeing the good in Hugo Southwell. Fair enough. I can't explain it. I can't justify but it. I should probably stop. He but. takes the Pez bomb, calls the mark, and sends it miles downfield. Hmm. Kane Robertson drops it into touch, and suddenly oh. he's essentially hit like an actual real-life 50-22. First 50-22. Yeah, essentially, because they actually do get the throw in. Yeah, Robert, I really feel for Robinson on that because yeah. he's going to do the like chuck it back in field to try and stop it going out because he's about to stumble over touch from the momentum of the kick. Except he just throws it to touch. Yeah, he just throws it towards the advertising hoardings. Like it's yeah. like really Kane Robinson plays very well. Doing. Here, I think actually. he does. He has in the first half a try disallowed where he goes into like utter beast mode where mm. like the ball gets wide and he goes and like these two steps off his left like explodes and it's like in the process of beating the fullback when he realizes the whistle's gone. And, like, all of those players that he beats didn't know the whistle had gone either. Yeah. Like, he would have scored... That was that, legit. That he would have scored, Almost. like, an absolutely phenomenal try that we brought up for decades. Yeah. Except the bloody pass goes forward in the lead-up. It was ridiculously forward from Canano. Yeah, but, but like, it still. did make a difference. Yeah. Like, the try would have been as good if it was backwards. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, it would have been a lot unlikely to unpick the defence. Exactly. Basically, Jonathan Kaplan, just don't ref forward passes if there's a good try that's about to happen. Please. Anyway, so, Scotland get the ball in the Italy 22 
Italy eventually like, worked really, really hard for like, I think like eight or nine phases, turn mm. it over, and Mauro bloody Bergamasco just goes straight off his feet at the next breakdown and gives them a penalty between the posts, which obviously Mosti slots. Yeah, this was kind of the most frustrating moment of the game for me. Yeah, I think that's that's where Italy's... The thing is, Italy's shot of the game isn't gone at that point. No. They get so many more opportunities, but they go 15-10 down at that stage. And like that's so preventable. Yeah. And this is the difference, right? That we mentioned how difficult Bortolucci's previous penalty was. And, like, spoilers, he gets other opportunities that are just as difficult, or even more difficult. Yeah. They're all on the halfway line. They're all in the corner. Whereas Bergamasco was just handing them chances in the yeah. 22 yeah. or between the sticks. Yeah. It's just like he's such a liability and I yeah. don't want to sound like a broken record, but he's just like he loses Italy the game single-handedly. Yeah. Like you very, very rarely see that. Yeah. There's uh, another one where Parks puts up a bomb and Italy are offside of a knock-on. That one isn't Bergamasco. They do it twice. They do it twice. Italy twice in consecutive plays are offside from like a player fumbles it and the player in front picks it up. And they lose the entire length of the field. They go from their own line to the opposition line the other way round because they don't remember that rule. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. Never Eight, seen a team fail that law twice in a row. 18-10 down. Or at least a team without Dan Cole who seemingly never learned that sure, law for some sure. reason. That's a thing. Uh, but yeah, they go 18-10 down all of a sudden. And it's just like, you were, what, two points down four minutes ago? And yeah. now you're eight points behind like that's it's such a they I make it so like, difficult for themselves that's the last it, 20 like, minutes much as we can rag on Bergamasco and I I'm not going to apologise for that because I think he's a great player mm. he has one of the worst games I've ever seen yeah but he I, doesn't give away those last two penalties no I will, I will say that no. he gives away one of them no he doesn't give away the last penalty yeah. <laughs> he gives away only one of those two yeah. penalties but Italy in general make this game so hard for themselves they do they, do. they are so keen on just like blowing things and frustrating themselves shooting themselves in the foot where Scotland just very straight down the line yeah. and just like they know they can Chris Patterson the hell out of this and just be very boring yeah having not attempted a penalty yet they've no. now scored six penalties in a row and you know cashed in on that so Bortolucci does get a penalty later on when Nathan Hines does that high shot and mm. gets yellow carded for it and you realise that okay this is a lifeline for Italy here yeah. they're now only five points behind again as long as they are disciplined they can fight back into this a little bit yeah and then something really frustrating happens. And I don't mean on behalf of Italy. And I don't mean on behalf of Scotland. Oh, yeah. I mean I... on behalf of me, the viewer yes. of the game. And myself, likewise. This is the worst thing that could have happened in because this match. Because you think, okay, we've got the last 20 minutes coming up here. That thing that happens in Rugby World Cup games, and it's the re- the, that feeling is the reason why we started this podcast yeah. and we do it every week. It's because you get that feeling where you go like, okay, last 20 minutes, let's go. And you speculate with with not only the people in the room with you when you're mm. watching the game, but like with the, the punditry and the commentary team yeah. when they're going like, when they're saying like, oh, that's... That, that, like Nick Mullins is great for these moments. Um, and Not to, you know, bum mm. him any more than we already do. But like that moment where you go like, okay, so Italy... Now they're in the game. They're only five points behind. They've got Bortolucci. His boot is massive. They've got Parise. He's carried for yards and yards. They've got a great scrum here. But Scotland, on the other hand, they have the line out. But they are a man short. Hines is gone. Blah, blah, blah. And like, they're, they're analysing it. And you suddenly take every aspect in the game into account. And you start just... You get so excited for the last 20 minutes of this game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just building and tensions dripping. And that thing we're saying, right, of like... 
the first 15 minutes is fantastic and like nervy and tense and everything. Mm. And the middle sections have been tense as well. But more because you know they're going to lead to this hell of a finale. Yeah, that's it. Where there's going to be something that like really matters. Because this is potentially one of the biggest moments in history of Italian rugby. Yeah. Coming up here. First time they can make a World Cup quarterfinal. Yeah. Obviously the women have done it since. First time the men would be the first time either team have ever done it. Yeah. And it's just like, it's huge these last 20 minutes. And for Scotland, it's a real marker for them to put down. Because they have struggled for the last few years. Yes. And they want to be trying to get back in this situation. Back in those big games. Back in that last day. Which is mad, because what we're about to talk about has no relevance to any of that. And yet, it is the single thing that could have spoiled it most. Yeah. Because for a moment, on this coverage, the screen just goes slightly fuzzy for about Mm. three or four seconds. And you go, it's fine, that happens. Yeah, that happens. And then, it goes silent for a little bit. For like one or two seconds. Mm. And then, in comes an English voice. And you go, okay, the front line's like a pitch side, a reporter guy, or whatever. Fine. And you have a moment of going like, oh, fine, you know, whatever. And then you go, wait, he's not been there all game. Yeah. And you start to go, wait, he's still talking when the the game kicks back off. And then you start to put together what the voice is. So the voices that then come in are our favourites from mm. the last couple of episodes. Nigel Starmer-Smith, David Soule and Jonathan Harris-Bass all come in to start commentating on this game for the last 20 minutes. And it really illuminated what a brilliant job Rupert McCall was doing. <laughs> it really does. Suddenly, throughout the game. Yeah. It becomes so obvious what commentator McCommentator was doing. Yes. When suddenly it's like grouchy man in pub, grouchy man in pub. Yeah. And suddenly you just get complaints about the rules of the sport oh, and that this player should have done this so the, and that Italy aren't that good. The thing are they? Is, but I don't know. I don't know who their players are. We then get the last five minutes, like literally the last five minutes, right? And he starts saying this has been such a compelling game. I've enjoyed it so much. I thought this was a fantastic game. Like, well, why haven't you shown it for the 20 minutes we watched you? Yeah. Like, we then have to watch the last 20 minutes of this match with this like unbearable moaning machine who's just there to like ruin everyone's enjoyment of the match. Which seems to be his only job on this tournament. Yeah. Like, to just, like, make everyone hate rugby and hate the sport. Yeah. So that happens, and I'm going to try and not talk about him again. I just... Yeah, that's it. It really frustrated me. It really frustrated me. He really frustrated me. I think he's actually not as bad as he is on other games. Yes. Um, But thankfully, we only got 20 minutes of him, so... That's it. Like, he probably would have been if we gave him more time. And also, I started fast-forwarding far more to get him talking the moment he came in. Because, again, you have that moment where you you want to bounce off the the coverage when the game's I became so much less invested in this game. This game that I've been, like, really enjoying. And then to the point, I just kind of was... Yeah. Kind of fed up. So, anyway, right, tight last sort of 15 mm. minutes we're into here. Scotland are just constantly trying to camp Italy in their own 22, hoping for giveaway penalty. Mm. Because that is what the pattern, what the past form of Italy is telling them will happen, you know. And then comes a point where Italy are in their own 22, they've been camped there for a little bit, and then they finally get like the rest, but like, the, the moment where like we now have a chance mm. to exit, right? Ramiro Pez sits in the pocket, <laughs> and the worst thing that they could possibly ask for happens as Alessandro Troncon goes onto the floor or he, he's had to carry, he's had to rock over or whatever. And listeners, the punchline writes itself, who should step in at scrum half but Mara Bergamasco? Was it in this year's Six Nations that he played scrum half against no, England? No, a couple of years later. A couple of years later. But obviously, 99% of listeners will know. Like, 
what Mario Bergamasco playing at Scrum Half was like. Mario Bergamasco, for context, um, just to make this as an encyclopedic mm. uh, compendium of the Rugby World Cup as possible, as an open side flanker, there was one game where they had a couple of injuries at Scrum Half, and so I think it was Nick Mallett was the coach at Nick the time, was the coach, yeah. uh, picked Mario Bergamasco as the Scrum Half for the starting game at Twickenham against England because he's got a good skill set, and that's undeniable. He does yeah. have a good skill set, and it went absolutely horrible. Look up the highlights on YouTube. He several times like sent the ball flying over his tent's head. Like he attempts a chip kick, he gets charged down, and concedes him a try. He was genuinely woeful. Like, and obviously they never tried him in the back line again. Which is to say, you know, he does have caps on the wing as well. He does, yeah. Like, he, he was a all-round player who was... I'm excited to see him in, like, 99 or someone when he was at his real peak. Yeah, in for sure. For likewise. sure. Because I don't think we've seen that here no. or in... I mean, we have in patches, actually. He's played well in his World Cup, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But, look, I've um, had it so many that... times where, like, I've played rugby or touched rugby or whatever, mm. and if somebody throws a pass from scrum half over somebody's head, somebody will say that's a Bergamasco. Yeah, like, it's even, become part of the parlance. It's, it's, like, I'd say other than a sunny bill being, like, yeah. an out-the-back out flick, I think that is the most commonly used, just, like, individual name to name a move in rugby. Yeah. It's sunny bill Wilkinson. Yeah, I guess like, so. Like, Wilkinson comes up as yeah. an example of, like, if you do a good kick. Yeah, know. a drop kick. Or yeah, Farrell. Or like Johnny Wilkinson. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, the Zebo flick is a is a big one. Do you think? To be fair, okay. yeah. Marcus Smith's goose steps have started to happen. It started to happen, and not to the same extent. But genuinely, yeah, Bergamasco is top five. Like a horror show of a scrum half in pass terms is of Bergamasco. Yeah, it's entered the parlance, and that's in England. Yeah, you know, where no one cares about. To be fair, rugby. that was the team they were playing against. That's true. That's very true. So but it was it also come up. fifteen years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, with Italian flanker. So, Bergama- so Mario Bergamasco, sorry, steps in at scrum half to cover for Troncon, and the pass he throws to Pez is rubbish. Pez does and- really well to collect it, but obviously gets charged down on the yeah. kick. This is the interesting thing, right? Because it's a point I remember Lee of Blood and Mud and of this parish as well, yes. friend of the pod, making once when talking about that game, talking about the Bergamasco scrum half thing. I think around the time he retired, maybe that. Yes, all the sticks should quite rightly go on Nick Mallet, right? But ultimately, Mara Bergamasco still went, yeah, I reckon I could play Scrum Yeah, Mark. yeah, he agreed to it. Yeah, he still went, yeah, I could do that. I could do a job at nine. Yeah, international level. Yeah. yeah. No worries. And here's the thing. We now have evidence from beforehand that, no, that wasn't a one-off. Yeah. He could never have played Scrum Yeah. Like, he had to fill in here once and it went that badly. Yeah, he did it once and it was rubbish. And really cost Italy. And Scotland keep it really tight. Like, they're on top of all of the kicking battle stuff. And that was, that was again, it was Italy's lifeline to get out of mm. there. And they did not take it because they had Bergamasco had to fill in at nine for them. Eventually, Italy do scrap and get their way out. Like, yeah. They're very lucky not to concede any points out of that whole exchange. Mm. And as they get closer and closer to the Scottish 22, you feel like, you know... Any penalty, either way, mm. could potentially win this with the score at sixteen eighteen to Scotland here. Like it's super super tight. Oh god! Well, we didn't. we didn't mention the penalty that brought them back within two points either, which is a hell of a strike at bottom. It's stunning because it is properly. You know they always say that on commentary, like if someone gets a penalty from around halfway or they narrowly miss one, like or you, you, they now know they can't afford to give any shots like that there. Scotland, probably that's the case. It's game-changing. Yeah. It's game-changing at this point. Well, potentially game-changing. It's from the corner as well. Like, yeah. it's a really difficult kick. And he drew it straight down the middle. Like, the there entire is no, way... As soon as it leaves his foot, you know it's going for him. But, like, 
I'm so used to doing this podcast. Everyone was saying about the 87 series and everything, right? I keep having flashbacks to Martin Rodriguez against England yeah. in 2011 of how badly he kicked, yeah. but constantly kept backing himself to go for these long-range efforts, right? Borta Lucy is going for those, but he's nailing them. Yeah. Or he's getting really good strikes. Yeah. He's giving like, you reason that if you're the captain, if you're Troncon, you're going to look at that and go, like, he, he could, he's he yeah. got this in him. So he sends one, like, that fades last second, that's so yeah. close, and one goes just under the bar. Yeah. But it is... They're great strikes. Yeah, they're both great strikes. Difficult kicks. From near impossible positions. Like, go and stand in a rugby field in that spot. Yeah. Right? Like, it's so difficult. Yeah. I think when you're watching on TV, it's easy to underestimate how difficult goal kicking is. Yeah. It is. It is. So Italy do get into the Scottish half. Mm. And in the corner of the field, 45 odd metres out, Italy win a penalty from a moor. Yeah. And this is the moment. Because as we were saying... They know Bortolucci has this in him. Yeah. So Troncon signals for goal with like very little hesitation. Just looks at Bortolucci, Bortolucci says, give it to me, you know. And this is like the highlight of the game, the tensest moment. The reason that the Rugby World Cup is special, I think, is moments like this. Yeah. Because yes, like, you know, the Football World Cup, grand, great, everything, you know, it took place in like 2018 or something. I had a goalkeeper that went on to direct movies. Yeah. Who cares, right? The thing is... When someone steps up to take a crucial penalty late on in a pool match, they're deciding if they're going to draw or or lose the game. Yeah. Or draw or lose the game. Yeah. Or win the game. Here, both Lucy is lose or win. Yeah. Like it's the all pressure on him. Either they lose this game and they go out in the group stage again. Or they win. Like they beat a tier one nation in the bloody... World Cup for one of the first times ever. I don't have it off the top of my head. I need to go through yeah. manually and work through all the results. Sure. And go through the quarterfinals for the first time ever. The sheer pressure on him is huge. The sheer pressure on this kick. And when they cut back to Italian fans after it, you can see they're like frayed. Yeah. Because the kick shaves the right post. It's so close. So close. And it's such a good strike. So narrow. And you just think shit. But Italy do get more opportunities. It's such a three good moment that even Nigel Starmer-Smith stops to talk about it and how big yeah. it is. Yeah. Because um, like this this should have, could have been the winning penalty. I think, and I think actually, because that happens on 76 minutes, Italy spend the next two minutes thinking they've missed their shot, yeah. thinking they've lost it. Yeah. You know, there's two minutes of them going like, oh God, okay, never mind. And looking kind of reluctant, like they're playing out the final minutes without a hope. Yeah. But then it's only sort of one week, like literally the moment the clock strikes over to seventy nine, that you they re-engage and go. No, we've got the you know yeah. we've got the ball now. Yes, we're in our own half, but we've got a chance. There's a point just before that as well where Sean Lamont tries this little chip over the top, mm. and Ramiro Pez feels it. And the thing Lamont did kind of didn't realize he did is he left the backfield completely unguarded, mm. and Pez immediately, like with no time to prepare just shoves the, the ball in his foot like if this lands in play we are scoring yeah. or, or like at least we're getting a, a five metre line out because someone's just going to have to welly it into touch like they do not have time mm. here and Pez shanks it out on the full oh, I think yeah. Lamont realised the error he made by leaving the back foot and go, went I've got to go all in on this and just pressure Pez mm. and he rescued himself so hard there but yeah eventually so Italy do with one minute left on the clock have the ball about 60 metres from the Scottish trial. Yeah, line. just as they were in 22 initially. Yeah. And they go through their best set of phases of the game. Yeah. Because they've kicked well generally. 
but they haven't kept hold of the ball well and they haven't done anything in attack, really, other than the Pez bomb. Yeah. And at this point, they know they can't rely on kicking. They yeah. have to go through the phases for the first time in the game. And that is to the credit that they've known that, yeah. you know, that they've not tried to overplay at all, where they, they have improved mm. against Romania. They did it constantly. Whereas here, they've really stuck to the right game plan. But yeah, suddenly they have to attack from deep. And Pez and Tronkon initially play this really well. Their first sort of seven or eight, maybe ten phases are superbly managed. Yeah. They get them from about, you know, 30 metres from their own line to inside the opposition half. Yeah. Kane Robertson makes a really nice, like, I I won't even call it a half break, I'll call it a three-quarter break. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, he breaks a tackle, you know he's not going to cleanly get through the line, Mm. but it gains Italy, like, a good 15, 20 metres, and that's huge at this stage. When yeah. you constantly think about where can we get to a kickable position for Bortolucci. And so they're building this up and they're working and they're working and they're working. And Scotland eventually, like, one the clock hits 80. Like, once time is already dead, once it is red, mm. Scotland's defence kind of picks up a bit. Yeah. And I think Scotland go from, oh, we're just defending a, you know, a kind of standard passage and they'll kick it back and we'll kick it forward and so sure. on. They then realise it's the last play and suddenly their defence improves, like, Really suddenly, yeah, like in the space of like a phase, like yeah. one phase of slow ball. Yeah, Scotland suddenly go like, oh god, like this is it's every all the, or nothing. The actual tackling itself is so yeah. much better. That's Ali it. Hogg puts in like a couple of huge. Like, it's not that they're more organised or doing anything differently. Suddenly, like every Mossy player puts in like a massive shot yeah. at one point. Well, just like every player, even the players you wouldn't expect, even you know the cutters and even the apart um, from Dan Parks. Like, yes, well, yeah, all of them are suddenly like putting everything they have into the tackles. Yeah, and that like. Clearly, a switch that turns somewhere around eighty minutes and around Italy passing halfway. Yeah, yeah, and it's such a difficult position to manage. I think if you're Troncon mm. and if you are Pez, and yeah, I do think they make the wrong decision. Yeah, it's I can't disagree with that at all because the clock's on about eighty-one minutes, you know, yeah. fifteen maybe, and they've I, just lost a couple of phases. I'm going to explain the person who is. Potentially a little bit more liable for this in a moment, but I'm just going to explain what physically happens yeah. first. So, Alessandro Troncon, mm. the greatest, one of the greatest players in Italian rugby history, picks up the ball. His final touch, his final touch of Itali- any touch he makes here is his final. It could be his final yeah. touch unless, well, he, yeah. you know, if he makes the wrong decision or somebody else makes the wrong decision. And he drops the ball onto his right foot. Yes. And at that point, naturally at this point, you always go, oh my God, this this better be really, I don't know really if you hard. heard me. I shouted, no. I did hear you. Yes. Because you watched the last five minutes while I was in the other room. Yes. And he does that and he hit, puts up a slight kind of hanging kick to the right hand wing. Yeah, it's like a kind of semi-cross chip. Yes. To try and catch the opposition winger, our position. Yeah, exactly. And he has Bergamasco chasing on there. Mauro. Mauro. And Sean Lamont herring across to cover it. Lamont uses, and we should have said this, it's quite slippery conditions at this point, but he managed to leap, take the ball, slide onto his arse, and just try and get his legs into touch yeah. at this stage. And he Which succeeds. A hell of a manoeuvre, really. It is. Like, I love it as a play, because your instinct is always to secure the ball and you know, yeah. keep it in. But he just wanted to get out of field. He yeah. wanted to get out of town. He did such a great job mm. of securing that. But that means, and we're going to carry on talking about this in a minute, that means it's full time. Yeah. And the final score is Scotland 18, Italy 16. Italy lose. 
And it's always a big risky play going for a kick yeah. and attacking kick in that point. You have to be certain it's on. But the thing is, the responsibility of calling for that kick is not on Troncon. It's on the chaser. Yeah. The chaser... Mauro Bergamasco no. has called for that kick. No, 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 no. I went back and checked this and he doesn't. Does he not? He doesn't. There's no communication. Okay. So, Bergamasco is... Because I, I looked at this and I thought, like, oh, God, is this Bergamasco again? Okay. You know, I went back to check I'm glad this. to be proven wrong. So, Bergamasco has his back to nine. He then sees Troncon plant his foot and he, like, gets himself, like, wow. back on side in order okay. to chase. So he adapts last second. He's not calling for that. He's not in position for it. Wow. Which then becomes, why is Tronkon hanging it if he hasn't got a winger in his place? He's got a flank. Do you think he's run out of patience? I think so. I don't know. I think he's spot. Well, I think he's spotted that Lamont is deep. Yeah. I think he's spotted there is space. But it's such a risky move. That is such it's a risky It's such a risky move. play. Because the thing is, right, if they're looking for a try and they're on halfway, they've just lost some yardage. If the score is still 13-18 as it was early in the game, yeah. Then I understand it. Then mm. I understand taking a risk because yeah, you roll the dice a, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. When you only need a penalty, with and one of the have, best goal kickers in the world, yeah, on your team, it's a really different prospect who's nailed ones from this distance already today. You just keep, you, like, honestly, I pick and drive. Yeah. You just pick and drive, pick and drive, pick and, and, and drive. Like, like, keep it as small as possible. Like, yeah. Keep the risk as low as you can. For sure. For sure. Like, almost play like you're closing the game out, where you're just, like, popping off to small pods. The thing is, after that happens, so it's full time, and the camera goes onto Troncon Mm. and stays on him, and he is in floods and floods and floods of tears, that he not only... Because, obviously, it is that that feeling that you are crushed by the world when you make a mistake, and it's cost your team the game, right? And secondly, the fact that he's a better player than that. And obviously, you know, he doesn't need telling that mm. uh, because he has had a brilliant game and yet it just doesn't matter anymore. And that's the thing, right? So as Andrew Troncon, one of the greatest players Italy's ever produced, the greatest scrum half Italy's ever produced, mm. this is the final touch of his final game of rugby. That's the yeah. last thing he ever did on a rugby field. Yeah. Is he makes an error of judgment trying to get it into their first ever World Cup quarterfinal. Yeah. Trying to achieve something that no Italian player has ever achieved before and no men's Italian player has ever achieved since. And that's what's crushing about this because often when that happens and you've made that mm. stupid mistake or whatever, you've done something you thought was going to work and it turns out it didn't. So what? You can put it right next week. Yeah. You can put it right in four years' time. And he has this realisation, I've given everything to this shirt and I don't have another opportunity to put that yeah. right. Like he I've ended on a low point. Like, he played his last game for Claremont earlier that year in yeah. the previous season's top 14 he didn't even have a club to go back to the following week like this was it he went into retirement on that yeah like it's a heartbreak like it it's it's frustrating i really felt for it as a fan initially and then you then as you say this cut to tronk on you realize like oh no this is it that's the end for him this that's is the 101st and final cap yeah and it ends like that it and what a bloody player he is falling over and making that one mistake yeah in a game that could have been happens like, to all the best players yeah the coup de grace of his entire it's career. such a shame it was his last cap uh, is the thing but that does take us to the Italian leaving party it does it does it does it does this best. is a banger the best of Italian cafe oh I love it oh yes this is a proper leaving party this is what we want it this is, is this want. is very very fine Italian cafe it really is mm. um, really interesting really weird team. yeah because I think Italy's Rugby World Cup successes has always been Far more nebulous because if these rugby history, their greatest moments are built in individual wins. Mm. Where I think 
There are some nations that build it on... Sorry, I'm just thinking about the bank. <laughs> so carry on, carry on. There are some nations that build their kind of rugby history on successful tournaments individually, right? Yeah. So Ireland has always been like successful Six Nations, successful like autumn campaigns, whatever. Yeah. And then particularly successful Heinz Cups and so on. Yeah. yeah. And then there's some tours. Like I remember them winning that tour in Australia in 2017 and it feeling like such a big deal because yeah. it was to them. Yeah. In a way that like if Wales had won that tour they would have gone fantastic but like yeah we've got to win a World Cup now. They're a World Cup and Six Nations only team, right? Yeah. Like the other yeah. games for Wales don't really exist. England is the same I think it kind of depends country to country mm. Italy's always been very much like individual wins are the go-to yeah and they don't really pull that off and this was a chance for them to have a successful campaign on its own mm. it didn't require a big That's win a good point. this would have been a big win but it would have been less significant than the one they pulled off in the Six Nations sure. where they beat them at their home ground rather than the neutral turf by a bigger margin yeah and to beat Wales yeah this would have been two successful campaigns in the year and this is an Italy squad that's good enough to do that, where you have the start of this following team that go and have a pretty, you know, solid time in the Six Nations, led by Parise, who obviously plays well in the tournament. Uh, but you still have the last kind of echelons of the previous regime in mm. Troncon hanging around. And so it's a kind of interesting period of Italian rugby, of this kind of transition from one group of really good players yeah. at the end of their legs, and one group of, you know, really quite good players at the start yeah it's interesting because it's players who pave away for players who pave away for the current crop of Italian yes. players you know yeah. uh, that's kind of what we're looking at here I think that because before this tournament I'd never seen Alessandro Stronkon play like yeah. a full game before I'd just seen highlights and like thought oh this kid looks amazing Like, and yeah. you know he's a legend of it and he is one of the great players for Italy in this tournament yeah. but I can't wait to see him play at his peak as you said and you know, you say the same thing Mauro Bergamasco. Yeah, whatever. Mm. But Parise and Castro remain two of my favourite Italian players. Parise, as I say, playing like a genuine number eight really, really well here. Yeah. And Kane Robertson, I really like. Yeah. Underrated, kind of goes under the radar, but it's really good. Really solid winger. Um, but again, Bortolucci. I think he's kind of the discovery of the tournament for Yeah. Me. Haven't heard of him. think he's brilliant. Andrea Marzi as well, I think yeah. he's mentioned. Very, 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 very well. Um, goes off injured in this game, so it doesn't get to, you know... Plenty yeah. of thing out. But yeah, both Lucy, I think, is fantastic. And I think that leads on to Man of the Match for me. Sure. It's a very short Italian leaving party. Do you have anything to say? No, uh, just... Um, Good lads. Bloody Aravadeci. Congrats. And, uh, grazie, grazie. And all yeah, that. good one. Thanks for the coffee. Cheers. Because uh, my Man of the Match is both Lucy. Okay, because I had him written down as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that... Go on, you so, talk about him. I think the Troncon has a very, very good game. Yes. I think Paris has a really good first half and is a bit quieter in the second half. Agreed. I don't think there's as many stand-up names on the Scottish side. Agreed. Um, no, I thought Mike Blair played really well. He did. Uh, I thought Chris Patterson was probably Scotland's best player. Yeah. I'm picking someone on yeah. balance. But I think David Bortolucci is flawless, just like faultless at the back, but also provides Italy with the key weapon that would have decided the game. That makes this game the contest it is. Because if Mirko Bergamasco was kicking the goals, the score would have been like 18-10 or something, you know, rather than being so close. Yeah. Sure, yeah. But you know what um, I mean? If they yeah, didn't have like a yeah. goal kicker that good, it wouldn't have been that close a game? I don't think it even would have been that far. Yeah. I think Scotland would have properly rolled over as well, rolled them over. Yeah. Because um, he's kicking as well, generally for position... And for clearances as well was also like crucial to them. Yeah. The reason that that one instance with Pears and Bergamasco stands out is because generally both Lucy was taking those balls on his own line and just pelting them in the opposition half. Yeah. 
I thought he was just like absolutely phenomenal. I thought he was the best one on the pitch by like a margin for me. Yeah. Um, and the reason this game is so close. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. I think, just talk a couple of the other names who I thought played really well. I think we're not mentioning, but I think Ali Hogg had a good game. Yeah. Yeah, Scotland. yeah. 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 I, I think that, yeah. there was a couple of, uh, there was a one huge Jackley came up with, which got them three points and, you know, just a couple of little moments that he came up with, which were really good. I think like Jim Hamilton was very solid line out to mm. pick out another Scottish player. But you're right, like it is mainly the Italian players that you look at and you think like, yeah, Troncon, as you say, was absolutely outstanding. The thing is, I completely agree with everything you say about Portalusi. Mm. Like, I looked at him and I, I felt guilty because I was like, I do think he's the best player on the pitch. Mm. I think it's just it's between him and Chris Patterson oh, yeah, because. Yeah. I think Patterson again. It's the two goal kickers. It's a game it's the two goal kickers. Goal kickers. But that that is that is yeah. genuinely what makes the difference here because Patterson, if it, if it's not a goal kicker that good, Scotland don't win this. The truth is right. Penalty count. Patterson six from six. Bort Lucy three from six. Yeah. All the Bort Lucy shots were more difficult than Patterson's most difficult shot. Sure, but. You know, but he didn't take shots side. that he wasn't going to get, did he? Exactly, um, I suppose. And if they were handing them to him, so yeah. it's a you know different yeah. world. And but... and they made the right call in yeah. doing so. That's a bullshit point from me. But anyway, just for the sake of splitting the difference, I yeah. completely agree with you that both Lucy was the better player. But I'm going to give it to Chris Patterson yeah. because I think uh, I like he's that. the reason why Scotland won this game. And I do think that the thing that stood out most about this game was the goal kicking of both mm. sides. That you've got two world class goal kickers here, just really going for it. And I think without Chris Patterson. I don't see a way that Scotland win this game. Yeah. Even though his playing on the wing was rubbish, his being a really solid manager was great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, dick of the day. <laughs> Makes you think. So, yeah, Nigel Zama-Smith, cameo mentioned, for yeah. his cameo. But, I mean, it's... Look, it's also, clear, isn't it? About the Nigel Zama-Smith, when he comes in, uh, and just just to paint you the, the sigh that we both made when this came in, they're talking about bladders when... <laughs> He comes up and he's just like, there's 20 minutes left to go in a really tense, tight Rugby World Cup game. Why are you talking about bladders? And why is Nigel Starmer-Smith now commentating? Rick McCall was great. Anyway. It's Mara Bergamasco. <laughs> it's Mara Bergamasco, like, loses it through this game. He's just a dickhead who shouldn't... It's funny because... Like, no, that's, that's harsh on him. In this game, he plays like a dickhead. Yeah. It's funny because, like, 10 minutes in, I wrote down, like, pairs with a question mark. It's like, oh, well, if nobody else does it, it, like, does something stupid. Sure. Pez will just, by default, be the dick of the day for being Ramiro Pez and just, like, playing like, playing like a weirdo. Uh, but then, Mario Bergamasco did so many things that made him a dick you of the day. You can't pull one out, can you? No. But I mean, I do think one, getting sent off and then coming back up and trying to get sent off again. Yeah, I think if there's, well, no, if there's one moment, right? It's the fact that if they score more points in the 10 minutes of him off the pitch yeah. than the... But as I say, so I think he was, he was just being selfless by trying to get sent off by doing an obvious I leg think trick he should have. on the first action that he came back on. there's a word for Pierre Bezier for not bringing him off. Yeah, that's true. And you're off the cap for not sending him off. Yeah. You know, it's all round, all round, all roads lead back to Bergamasco. Do you think Kaplan just realised, like, you know what? It's more deterrent to them if I leave him on. So that's the punishment, is I'm going to tell the coach that he has to leave <laughs> he Bergamasco on, on for the full game. So that's the equivalent of the red card, is instead of losing Bergamasco, you have to keep him. We've cracked it, we've cracked, cracked it. That's got to be it, that's got to be it. Please join us next week for another code that we will attempt to crack, because... Is it what I think it is? It, oh, you're saying that with a smile, and therefore I think it's probably not. I'm Colin Jarvis. It's, <laughs> yes, the most unpopular man in Wales. After Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. It is indeed that game. It is indeed Wales 
versus Fiji. A in match Nantes. that surely Wales are going to win oh, and see themselves through to the quarterfinals. Yeah, that's why I was smiling. Yeah. We've put this up off long enough. We've sat around, we've dreaded it, we've waited for it. It shall come for us. Our destiny is here. I don't know when that's going to be with you, probably midweek sometime. We'll Just work it out. Whenever. We'll see it. It'll be in your pod feed whenever we get over the PTSD. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much for listening. I have one last category beyond Man of the Match and Dick of the Day. Is it Pierre Bouguerie? It is Guy, and the answer is Pierre Bouguerie. Yes. And I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Will as ever. I want to thank ACAS, I guess. And I want to thank Pierre Bouguerite for being a top, top lad. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.